This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast from AllComic.com, episode 117. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lom Ramiyasha, and today we're putting weird and weird together and making it even weirder, because we're talking about Rumiko Takashi's seminal classic Yurusei Yatsura. We're celebrating a full year of the manga's re-release in English by Viz, and the oncoming debut of new chapters translated in English for the first time in 20 years. And so we've brought on some very special guests. We've brought on Don from the Anime Nostalgia Podcast, an expert on classic anime and manga, and of course, classic Rumiko Takashi, and a big fan of Yusra. And we've also got Vix, a longtime friend and recurring guest on the show, who comes on to share her first time experiences reading Yusra Yatsura. And it was a ton of fun to record this podcast. We share our thoughts on the early volumes. We go into some fandom history, talk about what it was like collecting the series in the 90s. Don shares some really great anecdotes about Yurisigatsura's licensing history with Animego. And it's a whole ton of fun. A wild, wonderful celebration of everything we love about your Yatsura, and I think you guys will enjoy it. But the fun doesn't end with this podcast, because this is just the first of two Your Yatsura podcasts you guys will be listening to within the week, because the long-awaited second episode of Lung Squad is also coming out a year after our first episode. It took a while, but the second episode is coming out. AC and I are recording more episodes, too, and you want us to wait as long for those. But that's right, two Your Yatsura podcasts for your listening pleasure, and we hope you enjoy it. Quote is today we cover the manga, and on our Lump Squad episode, we'll be covering the anime. Can I just say, I am very happy for you, Lum, that uh, you're finally getting out some uh, some Udase Yatsura content out, uh, along with this podcast and Lum Squad. I enjoyed the first episode of Lum Squad, so I can't wait to listen to the second one. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you can't wait to listen to it, it's already on our Patreon, so go hop on there, and you can listen to it early. Yep, that's uh, that's two dollars for anyone who wants to basically sign up and uh, listen to early early access editions of our podcast. That's uh, that's basically whenever we uh, happen to have an episode edited early, you know, a couple days before its actual release date on all comic and our main podcast feed. If you pay two dollars, you get to listen to those whenever we have those edited. Uh, I know we've been putting up a lot of early access podcasts between uh, this podcast and uh, At Movies. Uh, do we want to talk about At Movies for a little bit? That's right. Manga Mavericks At Movies has come back. We are releasing some backlog episodes right now, and they're basically all available on our Patreon at the time of this recording. So if you want to listen to some of those early, you can listen to on there. Right now, we've got public our tokyo godfathers episode and our my hero academia two heroes episode upcoming episodes for the month of april will be a special peek at our dragon ball super broly episode that we released as a patreon exclusive podcast last year you guys on the public feed will be able to listen to about an hour of vix and i talk about that film an hour of our nearly stream and a half hour-long discussion on that film. Wow. But we've also got a podcast on The Wonderland, the latest film from Keiji Hara, director of a lot of classic children's anime, like Shin-chan especially, and also the film Miss Hokusai. He had a new film called The Wonderland. We discussed, saw that in February, and we discussed that, and that'll be the last film out 
in April, and we're also doing an episode on Violet Evergarden returning the Auto Memory Doll, and that'll be the first episode out of May. But we have a little bit of a conundrum because there aren't a whole lot of anime movies playing in theaters because the theaters have been shut down, so we actually have a poll set up for you guys to vote on what films we cover in future Act Movies episodes, films that we have in our personal collection that either me or V-Lord haven't seen yet. So we've got a lot of great choices, like there's a bunch of Lupin films in there, there's some Tenchi Muyo films in there, there's Lou Over the Wall in there. A lot of great choices. Vote for your favorites, and we'll cover the top four voted picks on Ad Movies in May. Hmm. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll definitely leave a link for that in the show notes for anybody who wants to vote in that. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to digging into some Ad Movies content. Definitely go listen to our, uh, to our My Hero Academia uh, Heroes Rising discussion. I had a lot of fun talking about that film. And we even talk about the prequel one-shot that came out and is available on the Shonen Jump app for subscribers. We had a, a whole 10-minute review on it because that's about as much time as it takes to talk about it. it. It may have been too much time, actually, now that I think about it, but it was still pretty fun. Special mid credit scene in the podcast for your listening pleasure. Really emulating the feel of a Marvel movie that just doesn't end. I hope we could do more of those, though I can't <laughs> I, I can't imagine it'll be anytime soon, but that was pretty fun. Definitely. Oh, and on the subject of the Manga Maritime movies poll, I forgot to mention that Your Scouts Are Beautiful Dreamer is one of the choices on there since V-Lord hasn't seen him yet. So if you're hankering for even more Your Scouts to talk after listening to this pod, definitely give that a vote on the at movies poll too. But on that note, I think now it's finally time for I, I, you and I to hop aboard our cosmic cycles and run, run, run away home to our discussion of Rubika Takaji's love movies of a manga, Yurisei Yatsu. It's time to put weird and weird together and make things even weirder. That's right, I'm extending an open invitation because I'm planning on a celebration. Ooh, baby, for this information, I'm going to make you fall in love with this series. <laughs> what series am I talking about? It's not just my imagination filling me with anticipation because we're talking about none other than Rubuko Takashi's planet-rocking star dancing hit manga, Yorosei Yatsura. And we have plenty of cause to celebrate because we have passed the first year anniversary of the manga's republication by Viz Media, which is also a big deal because we will soon be passing where Wiz previously left off with the series when they stopped publishing back in the 90s, and with the release of Volume 6 of these new editions in May, for the first time in over 20 years, we will be seeing the official publication of new Yurisegatsura chapters in English. And so this is a really exciting time to be a Yurisegatsura fan and... There's no better time to cover it officially on the show. Longtime listeners may remember that I previously recorded a spin-off podcast called Lum Squad last year where me and my friend AC discussed the first volume of Viz's new Omnibus edition and explored some of the series' history there. But much like Lum itself, that podcast will one day return despite a long hiatus, but we always intended to cover Yurisayatsura on Manga Mavericks as well. And we've got a great balance of first-time readers and long-time fans on here today to talk about it. First is our good friend and frequent guest, Wix. Hello, I'm Vix. I'm the pretty one. Yes. Mm. <laughs> and we're also excited to have on longtime Yurisei Yatsura fan and first-time guest to the podcast, Dawn from the Anime Nostalgia Podcast. Hello, that's up. 
Insha. <laughs> oh, the Insha versus Dutcha, Rayleigh versus Lam. Which verbal tick do you love best? <laughs> I don't know. I love the Insha a lot. I'm more familiar with it, I think, because I haven't watched as much as the anime. Mm-hmm. But I've watched a lot of the Doctor Slump anime because I'm very special. <laughs> oh, another good one. These two series, Yuri Yatsu and Doctor Slump, are really two peas in a pod. Both great hits of comedy gag manga in the early mm-hmm. 80s. Totally. It's just the writers unrestrained. Yeah. They don't care. It's beautiful. And that's what I love about Yuri Yatsura <laughs> is that it's just Kakashi's pure unbridled creativity with no filter. She's just throwing mm-hmm. whatever ideas she wants at the wall and then just experimenting. I just love it. It's just a uh, creator's playground and it's beautiful. Yeah, totally. But I'm so excited to be talking about this series today with you darling people. Aww. <laughs> and oh, stop. I... <laughs> and yeah, so we have like longtime fans and first time fans. And I've kind of gone into my background with Yuri Yatsura before in the Lump Squad episode. So I don't want to repeat myself there. But Don, as a longtime fan of the series, I want to ask you how you were introduced to the series and what your experiences with Yuri Yatsura and Mumiko Takeshi have been in general. Oh, okay. So my first exposure to Rumiko Takahashi was actually Ranma mm-hmm. back in the 90s when, uh, you know, Viz started putting it out, like in those single chapter <laughs> floppy issues. Yeah, I have some of the, I have some of the Yurisa Yatsura floppies, which are like They're right here. two chapters an issue. Those are really, mm-hmm. fu- really cool. Wow. Yeah, because, you know, back in the day, that was, you know, there was no manga magazine or anything where manga went so like to get manga to readers that were you know buying comics in comic shops they had to release it like an american comic and that was the norm for many 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 years that was how the old like uh akira first like came over here was in a comic book format that uh, Marvel put out. Uh, Stan Lee friggin' loves that comic. Well, loved, he's dead now. Yeah. And they, you know, flipped it and colorized it. And uh, that was how a lot of people got into Akira back in the day. But that was how, you know, from then on out, like, manga was released like that for a long time. We had to flip it to read American style. <laughs> which, you know, that was a little like, uh, And, you know, then to go to the added pains of like, okay, now someone has to go in and edit any text that's, you know, mirrored now and flip it. And, you know, that was, I'm sure, painstaking before, you know, everything was done on computers because this was, you know, back before then. Yeah. But yeah. So my first experience with Marika Takahashi was Ranma, which, of course, I loved. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is so wacky and like unique and funny and cool and kind of queer a little bit. Yeah. So I was like totally drawn to it. And um then Odisei Yatsura, the first time I ever saw Odisei Yatsura was I saw some random episodes of it at a comic convention in one of their anime rooms. Uh, it was totally untranslated. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, what? is this (laughs) like i had no idea what was going on but i was like it kind of looks like really cute but funny and weird and like 
I don't really know what's going on, but I'm like totally drawn to this. And like the music was really cute. And so I was like, okay, like I filed that away in the back of my head. Like I got to look into what, whatever the heck that was. Uh, And then like a few years later, I found out like, oh, they're doing the comic of that thing that I saw. Uh, So I picked up the comics of that and I was like, oh, this is really good. Like, it's just as weird as I remembered those like random episodes being. And then my first foray into the anime was the the Beautiful Dreamer movie because they showed it on Sci-Fi Channel as part of their Saturday anime series. And I was like, this seems nothing like the comic, but it's really <laughs> good. And then that was like my first real like translated or to say Atsura anime. Nice. So <laughs> it was kind of funny because I was like, wow, this movie is so good. And then you get to like the, the TV show and you're like, this is nothing like that, but also good. <laughs> <laughs> They're both great in their own ways and they both succeed right. because of the strength of the characters. Right, right. And, you know, you can, once you go back and you like read some of the manga and watch some of the anime, you can be like, okay, this is where some of the elements of that movie came from. So I get it. But it always did make me laugh that some people like saw that movie and that was like their first exposure to Urusei Atsura. <laughs> and then when they saw the TV series, they got mad because it wasn't like the movie that they saw. They were like, I wanted more of that. <laughs> the, those people I've seen that reaction as well. Mm-hmm. There's select episodes of the anime you could check out if you want stuff that's more tonally in line with Beautiful Dreamer. But on the whole, yeah. it's a very different series. Yeah, super different vibe. And then there were some people who, like, you know, they started with the TV series and then they saw that movie and they got mad because the movie is nothing like the TV series. <laughs> also cowards. <laughs> also cowards. Ursa <laughs> Yatsa, there's one thing I've learned. It's whatever the hell it wants to be this week. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so the movie is totally. perfectly, totally in line with the entire series. And I yeah. love that Oshi and several of the staff and animators use Yurisu as a playground for their ideas, too. It just makes yeah. it even more interesting. Yeah. I mean, I I love that movie so much. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of discourse over that movie and Oshi and stuff because, like, famously, like, Takahashi doesn't like the movie and, you know, all that other stuff. But that's getting a little off topic. But anyway, yeah, so that was my first exposure to it. And, like, you know... Basically, after that, and already loving Ranma, I was like, that cemented me for like, okay, I'm basically going to check out anything that this Rumiko Takahashi person does, because this is great. Like, I love all of this stuff. And, you know, that's what got me into basically all of her other stuff. Anytime Viz announced like, oh, we're gonna do this, and we're gonna do that. I was like, yes, I'm there. Like, when they announced like a Maison Ikoku, I was like, yes, I'm there. <laughs> That's another, like, huge favorite of mine. As much as I love uh, Urusei Atsura, Maison Ikoku might be my actual favorite uh, Rumiko Takahashi thing, but it's really close. Like, you know, uh, Urusei Atsura, Maison Ikoku, and Ranma one half are, like, all very closely linked to me. And, like, if I had to really pick, like, a favorite, like, it's very hard <laughs> because I love all three of them, like, so, so much. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, that was kind of my origin story with Rumiko Takahashi, I guess. Can you recall, like, those first episodes you saw untranslated at that Comic-Con? I really don't know. Like, 
I've tried to sit and think about them, but like, it's really hard. Like sometimes I, I think one of them was the first appearance of Momotaro, but I can't be a hundred percent sure. I remember vaguely that Momotaro was there, (laughs) but (laughs) that could have been several different episodes, you know? And this was like years before uh, Animego picked up the series. So, mm. you know, it was it wasn't even fan subbed. It was just like some dude had a videotape <laughs> with a couple of <laughs> random episodes because that's how things were back then. <laughs> Whatever you can get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, exactly. uh, just from your guy in Japan who was dealing. Or just your, yeah. your, your um, uh, I, I've actually researched it. I really, really love this period of time and how things were distributed. Um, and I love poking around old GeoCities sites. Mm-hmm. It, it was usually either somebody knew a guy in Japan or somebody knew a guy that lived in the Japanese um, the uh, Japanese neighborhoods in California because they would. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of television shows were broadcast and even subtitled specifically for those areas in America, and then they would bring them to conventions. And that's how a lot mm-hmm. of like early fan subs were were like based off of because the subs weren't exactly very good. I believe yeah. a group of Yurisiatsu fans in uh, that area actually did petition for Yurisiatsu subbed episodes to get broadcast on their local television station. Yeah, uh, there was a lot of stuff like that. Uh, I know there was a big movement for um, Utena to have something similar, mm-hmm. and eventually they just, this GeoCities fan group just subbed them all themselves, and you just... You would email, um, I, I don't know, Akio is the best 27. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I, some of these people really liked Akio. I, I don't oh, understand why. There's a lot of Toga fans. Like, a lot of just really big Toga just stands. And I was like, why? And then you get, then, then um, you know, two months later, you get your VHS in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, the, the, and the way these people work was so, was so cute. <laughs> You were old. Uh, a lot of the the major cities like uh, New York, Seattle, that kind of thing, uh, would have like quote Chinatowns, and there would be video stores where like Asian families would get tapes from you know Japan or wherever, and they would rent them to people who were you know also there in America for whatever reason, and that's how a lot of people you know got a hold of like the raw episodes of things and. Uh, that's kind of how, like, some of it started to trickle in. It was way easier in, like, the bigger cities for that kind of thing, obviously. Yeah. Sometimes they got stuff like Johnny Sacco and his giant robot, where they were like, hey, yeah. maybe, maybe people outside of this small community want to see this too. Yeah, yeah. Because I know there is a, well, there was at a time, I haven't been back in a long time because I don't live there anymore, but when I lived in the Seattle area, there was a video store called Video Hop, and it's been there for decades like i don't know when exactly it started but it's been there as long as i can remember and i have bought everything from vhs to dvds there of japanese things and they rent things as well and it's this little asian family that like you go in there and it's like just racks and racks full of (laughs) daytime tv shows anime movies like any kind of thing, like, because every time I went in there, they would always have the latest episode of Hey 3 Music Station going on. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. I-, I hope that they're able to survive in these video store-less days. 
Yes, I know what I, I know what English is. Yeah. Well, since they're since they're a niche thing, like I think that's what has kept them going. Like you know, where else are you going to get your Japanese like daytime TV shows from? Unless you have like some sort of NHK satellite subscription. NHK yeah, <laughs> probably isn't going to want you to have that. <laughs> they're they're really really weird and insular about their broadcasting, but yeah, yeah. But I think it's really cool that you started with uh, Rom as your intro to Takahashi. And then went for that because that kind of mirrors like my experience as well. And I think a lot of people got into Takashi Sets to Ranma. And I also kind of had an accidentally discovery of Yuris Yatra when I was like just YouTube surfing like anime openings. And I just came across the first opening randomly and it was like super cute and interesting. And I was like, oh, what's this show? And then I looked it up and was like, whoa, this is the first series by my new favorite. Mangaka Rumiko Takahashi, creator of Ranma. I gotta check this out ASAP. And so then I read mm-hmm. and watched the series from there. But I really uh, love all of Rumiko Takahashi's works as well. Like, I mean, that's why my internet handles Lum Ramayasha. <laughs> you know, for for those who may not know, Lum, I I I hear that Urusa Yatsura uh, might be your favorite thing of all time. Definitely, it's my favorite manga and anime. I really love this series a lot. I couldn't tell. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I went through the effort of, like, collecting the Japanese Wide Bond editions before, like, uh, Wiz announced that they were going to republish the series. Like, I love your sense so much that I actively sought out, like, the Japanese books because I wanted the series on my shelf. And then I hunted down the old Wiz graphic novels too from the 90s all the return of lums and i still have not found a copy of lum the perfect collection but i have like the first lum graphic novel where it's just like lum one and so i also have to find Uh, lum mm -hmm. two wherever that is but yeah that one's a little harder to find yeah i don't think they printed very many of them because like famously Urusei wasn't doing as well as Ranma did. Mm-hmm. Nothing that's why did it, as well as Ranma did. Yeah, that's why it got cancelled. Yeah. Well, I guess yeah. that's a good segue into like the brief North American publishing history since this is a podcast like to celebrate uh Yatsura's full-fledged comeback into mm-hmm. the West. So like, Wiz began publishing the series under the title Lum Yurisu in 1989 in the monthly floppy format that you mentioned earlier. And based on, like, one of the fan letters that I read in, like, the fifth one of these floppies, because I collected a few of them, it seems like it was only slated for eight issues and then only ran those eight issues and then went on hiatus. And mm-hmm. it went on hiatus, like, until... It returned in Viz's An America magazine in 1993. And then its success being published there led to Lum the Perfect Collection coming out in 1994. And then eventually Yurisiatra spun off from An America and returned to Monthly Floppies under the title The Return of Lum, which I guess they called it that to signify that it was the triumphant return of the series after... Uh, like a five-year hiatus, but it probably just mm-hmm. confused people into thinking it was like a sequel or another series entirely. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem with some of the naming conventions that uh, Viz used back in the day. Like, they were really cute, but like, I think it 
ultimately kind of didn't work for people who were trying to get into things. Because they had, like, something like that with Ranma. Like, when they released the Ranma VHS tapes, it wasn't, like, they weren't clearly labeled as, like, you know, Season 1, Volume 2, and Volume 3. They all had, like, cute, quirky, like, pun names, (laughs) which were cute, but, like, it didn't tell you what number you were getting. It was like, okay, this doesn't really tell me much other than, like, what the theme of these episodes are. So, like. I know a lot of people who were like, I really wanted to get into Ranma back in the day, but like, I didn't know what videotapes to buy because they weren't numbered. Like, it was <laughs> hard to figure out what to do. The same with um the original printing of Maze on Ikoku. Like, they weren't numbered either unless you looked inside the books and figured out like oh, what yeah. like chapters and stuff were in them. Uh, They were just named like quirky little names and i was like that's cute but also very confusing (laughs) yeah i mean it's a problem with these graphic novels too like none of the return of lum volumes are like numbered so you kind of have to like figure out the order by just looking at the content and seeing oh is ron here yet is tang here yet nope well Mm -hmm. then this must go here (laughs) yeah this was before well i mean this was before wikis so, the, oh yeah, and and even now this information isn't very well documented because nobody apparently cares about Urusayatsu enough to update the wiki. Oh, there is some sad. information that definitely could be added to that wiki in terms of like publication history and stuff that fans have discovered. It's very interesting. But yeah, for those old uh, Urusayatsu like English ones, you have to literally like open them up and it'll say this collects like issues whatever through whatever and then you have to figure out okay well then this is like the third one or whatever but it was it was really confusing back in the day and i and i was like i know they're trying to mirror like what american comic graphic novels were doing because like (laughs) frustratingly back in the day like say marvel and dc would release like a collected graphic novel of like a storyline and it would just be like you know x-men blah buddy blah blah oh God, I hate and that. you know they weren't in any sort of order so you had to kind of figure out like okay which one do i read first blah 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 which was also very confusing and frustrating <laughs> i hated that and i'm glad that we've <laughs> moved away from that for the most part marvel already had it perfect beforehand they they released them in order they were like X-Men, the Chris Claremont era, volume one. And then they stopped doing that. (laughs) Why, though? (laughs) I still, to this day, do not understand how that trend started. And I want to, like, I wish I knew who started this trend because I would want to go to them with some very strong words and be like, you know, you do realize you are responsible for, like, a whole, like, couple decades of, like, me not knowing what the hell to read first. It's probably Dan DiDio. <laughs> Everything bad is related to Dan DiDio. Fuck <sighs> that, I mean, ma'am. Probably. It wouldn't surprise me at all. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's a trend that like permeated into manga, which I did not appreciate. Especially since uh, anime VHSs and manga releases were in the hundreds of dollar ranges. Oh, yeah. I love looking at my old, um, I've got some Ranma, very, very old edition 
graphic novels and it's like, wow, this volume's only $50, $60 in 1990s money. And I'm like, how did you afford this? I mean, not even that. Like, the monthly floppies, like, I'm looking at the price right now, it's 3 25 in 1990 money well, that's, for one issue. Yeah. That's the price of a comic nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to say, that doesn't seem like a lot now, but let me remind listeners that back then, a regular, if you went and bought, like, you know, an issue of X-Men, it was like a dollar. It was a dollar. So this is the, this is the special issue, and the regular issues are um, two ninety five. dollars mm. um, I will remind you all that in uh, about 10 years ago, only 10 years ago, DC um, had a whole initiative to draw the line at two fifty. Like they were, mm-hmm. they're drawing the line at two fifty, and that's what their comics were going to cost because otherwise it would become too expensive at the time for people to collect comics. <laughs> and this is nineteen. This is the ninety. <laughs> yeah, there's no way anybody was gonna. And um, all of, of course, all of that goes to. And the covers are really, really nice and thick, but the it's still on newsprint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. It's really funny. I actually, one time on my podcast Tumblr, I came across a post where someone had posted a picture of, I think it was a, a Ronma floppy cover, and it said it was like three ninety five or something on that. And the person was like, excuse me? Manga used to cost three ninety five. Wow. And I, and I had to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't understand. This was a floppy. It had like two chapters in it. <laughs> like if you wanted the full book, you had to pay like 20 bucks sometimes or even more depending on where you bought it for like the full volume of like whatever you were reading. This is literally not even a hundred pages. Like this is two chapters of manga. That was how we read it back then. And they were like, whoa (laughs) like their mind was blown they had no idea and i was like well you know i guess if you're young and you didn't live through that era you wouldn't understand like it wouldn't compute that like a manga was released at like the same format as like an american comic because you think in your head like that doesn't seem like it would work and it was pretty hard for quite a while (laughs) (laughs) i mean it, it got people to try manga like but it was still like really difficult like honestly bless companies that were trying their best to get manga in the hands of people that way because it couldn't have been easy it must have been so so difficult to like you know come up with like a new cover every month with such a limited thing of art because like you know some manga didn't have a lot of color art so There were times where, like, they had to take, like, interior art and colorize it to try to make it look like color art. And, like, sometimes it was successful and sometimes it wasn't. Uh, (laughs) But it was a totally different time. And uh, uh, those releases weren't cheap. I mean, I think the first Odyssey Atra Perfect Collection was, like, $30 or something. And you compare that to the first volume of the new Viz Omnibuses, which is $20. It's like $10 right now. Yeah, I mean, you can get it even cheaper online, too. So that's another thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this is it's yeah. ridiculously less expensive to get the comics now than it was back then. 
Yeah. Yeah, and we're talking thirty dollars twenty years ago. Yeah. Uh, this one is uh, the first volume of the Tanakhavan release in America is fifteen dollars. I mean, that's also the same. Well, actually, these Return of Lums are fifteen ninety five, and this is like mm-hmm. half the amount of chapters that are in these omnibuses, which are only twenty dollars, and you can get cheaper online for even less. So. With inflation, <laughs> it would have felt like you were paying way more because they were specialty books. It was a niche product, so mm-hmm. you had to pay more for it, and um. You know, like, I can't stress it enough to, like, some younger people, like, you know, we were paying crazy amounts of money for these things back then. And it wasn't, you know, something that we really, like, complained about. Honestly, a lot of fans sort of wore this as a point of pride. Like, (laughs) I remember there being bumper stickers sold at comic conventions and, and then later anime conventions where it said, Anime crack would be cheaper. <laughs> it literally <laughs> would. And, I mean, uh, and um, for a point of reference, the um, I think this is a this is a shisha bond, right? No, this is that's no, the wide bond. This is the wide bond. Wide bond release in Japan is only six hundred eighty yen, which that's yeah. I mean, that's still in nineteen eighty nine money, but the yen hasn't really fluctuated that much since the crash. So, mm-hmm. and of course, um, all the initial, all the like. Tanakaban releases of each chapter, which would be of each volume, which would be the same as like the fifteen dollar US release, or one hundred yen. Screw you. (laughs) And I have the uh, like the original Shonen Sunday volume. Like like Lum here, I have like all the old uh, the old releases too. And in Japan, like these were three hundred and forty yen. These were less than. Four dollars a piece. I actually have oh, some that I've been meaning to give Lum that I bought. I bought them in Japan, but I forgot to bring them. Whoops! They're so cheap. I just, I, I just, I just find them at bookstores, and they're just so cheap. I love. Them. Yeah, I can't wait to check this out. <laughs> I only bought one though. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, one of my friends found some of the ones that I have at Book Off for like a hundred yen a piece, which isn't <laughs> even a dollar. <laughs> yeah, that, um, that, that's what. Um, that, that's the general price for all for all releases. For anything that was made in like the '90s or early 2000s, you could get the entirety. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my friends uh, got the entirety of uh, Yotsubata for like, because like it was in book like I don't know, 900 yen. Um, you could get oh, all wow. of JoJo uh, Part Five, Three, and Two. They had a little special bag for it for a uh, thousand mm-hmm. yen. And I was like, I am so tempted, but I do not have the suitcase space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the problem when you go to Japan. I also want. You're to- like. I want to buy everything. <laughs> God, they, I want some Japanese N64 controllers because those are actually, they actually use some oil in them so that it didn't rub off and ruin the controller's joystick. But try fitting an N64 controller in your bag. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's disgusting. But yeah. It's almost as bad as an, ex- an original Xbox controller. <laughs> the Duke. <laughs> the Duke is the greatest controller of all time. <laughs> they re-released it, and I am so proud of it. That is a power move. <laughs> the Duke 2019 edition. Oof. Ugh, no thanks. <laughs> it's it, it, it feels okay. But I'm going to totally butt in and describe my experiences, Rubika Takahashi, because screw all of you. Oh, yeah. Well, first, I just <laughs> want to mention that since we are kind of celebrating these great new releases, is that they are based off of the Japanese Shinso Bonds, which are the same content, same kind of chapter order as the Tonko Bonds, but they have those extra bonuses in them, which includes the data files and the count corners. 
sadly, the English editions lack the My Lum tributes from other mangaka, like Mitsuru Adachi and Mini Yoshizaki, Hiromu Arakawa. Mm-hmm. They all had these Lum tributes where they kind of wrote about what the series meant to them and drew their own drawing of Lum in their own style. So if you like seeing those drawings of like Lum in different artist styles floating around, that those come from the Shinso Bombs. So sadly, they don't include those in the English version, but I really do like that they have the data files and the chapter counts because these are really fun to read if you really like learning about the series or like kind of considering, oh yeah, it is kind of interesting to look at this character from this perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a few years ago I did like a whole thread of like some of those pictures because I realized a lot of people had never seen them and I was really sad when they weren't um, included in this as well but um, my favorites uh, would be the ones done by Junji Ito because (laughs) she looks very like almost like ghost-like which is kind of funny and um, the one by Tayo Matsumoto is very interesting like she looks a lot more like animal-like I feel like in his style which fits but is you know, it's different. It's like you said, it's really cool to see like all these different takes on Lum. And some of the other creators also drew like other characters too. Like I think Miyoko Ano also drew Ron in her picture, which was very cute and very like not surprising <laughs> that she would also want to include Ron in her stuff. And but, she uh, is like the cutest, girliest character. Right. And Miyoko Ano really kind of loves that kind of stuff because she's like a shoujo slash jose mangaka so it doesn't surprise me that uh she was like oh i'm gonna draw lum and ron together because you know they're kind of like that very shoujo or jose sort of like frenemy sort of thing going on their best friend (laughs) (laughs) i love them well now yeah actually fix i'm interested in your experiences with rumiko takahashi so my first experience with rumiko takahashi was uh, my friend Kevin got into Ranma when uh, they were in middle school because Ranma had the boobies, and of course, <laughs> when you're and when you're in middle school, like, oh my gosh, this thing has boobies, but it's actually really funny and good. So he showed me an episode, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is absolutely hilarious, and I'm queer as shit. So I also kind of, I mean, I wasn't <laughs> yeah. at the time, but I, I was like, wow, I connect to this. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but this is interesting. And so I started making my way through it, and at a party, V-Lord introduced me to Maizen Koku, the English dubbed version, and everybody else was just kind of like, oh, this is okay. I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I needed in my life. This is the best <laughs> thing ever. It's a, it, 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 um, I, I, I loved the idea of this um, mildly grounded screwball comedy romance, and we were about to graduate high school at the time, so Godai's situation was kind of like, wow, I feel this. Same. I feel this very much so. I mean, I, I hadn't failed my entrance exams or anything. Just the <laughs> just the idea of this pressure of getting into of getting into college and not knowing what one's going to do with their life, mm-hmm. and I really and the idea of this romance developing with the characters as they develop as people, rather than just kind of a will they won't they based on the publication, just was really really appealing to me, and I blasted through the whole thing, uh, the whole anime, and it was really good, and I liked it a lot, and. I was actually kind of familiar with Lum beforehand because Lum is a character that just constantly appears in various pieces of media from the 80s and 90s in Japan. She appears in a lot of video games just as like a little small little cameo character because why not? 
I think one of her appearances was even translated. Um, she's in a lewd magazine in one of the F- Fantasy Star games, I believe, on the Sega Genesis, and they like they they didn't censor that it, it's Lum, like they they said that it was Lum. I guess they didn't. I, I guess the translators were like, I don't know what the crap a Lum is. <laughs> this, this is they they thought they made the character up. Yeah, they thought the character was like from there. It was like, no, hey, that's Lum. Cool. <laughs> Um, I saw some music videos with her in it, and Vaporwave started to become really, really popular, and the characters started appearing around in various places, because Lum is peak 80s Japan. She's the best. And so I started checking out some of the episodes, and I laughed my ass off. <laughs> it was a- it was absolutely perfect. The animation was absolutely stellar. It looked kind of, um, I loved the ra- I loved the rounded heads and just how strange and animated everything was, and how the expressions the, the the expressions and art style could change from frame to frame just on the fly it was it was beautiful god god bless overfunded 80s animation <laughs> we'll never see it's like again Aww. yeah but I, I never really went past i re- never really like uh, i never really latched onto it like i did with Mizuni Koga. i mean i loved it it's just like for some reason I, I guess i just went on with some other stuff and then I don't know, the new releases started coming out, and I was like, oh, I gotta do this. This is awesome. I like Rubika Takahashi. Oh, yeah, and I, I, read, I read Inuyasha a bit, too, but who cares about Inuyasha? Oh, I do. Who cares? Inuyasha? <laughs> the, what an obscure series. Nobody's a... <laughs> now, Maizu Nikoku. Now, that's a, that's, a, that's a series for the ages. Everybody knows that one. <laughs> I mean, at at one point in time, no, no. it felt like everybody did. People cared about Mizuki Coco. That was canceled because of lack of interest. Well, then it came back. It had a trouble well, release history, I believe. Like with the anime, yeah. they took a break after the first thirty six episodes and didn't come back to the dub yeah. for like long, many years. It was because of a bunch yeah. of yeah. The entire manga together. was published, but I think that was also kind of like a very slow release as well. Yeah. The anime was such a, like, barely squeaking by thing that the last few volumes were sold online only. Yeah, I I knew about that one. Yeah, and they had to redub, like, a lot of characters. Like, well, recast a lot of characters, I should say, because the uh, original voices had moved on and were doing other things yeah. and not anime. <laughs> Man, like, when you go from episode 36 to 37, it is so rough. Like, I was, it was so jarring, because, like, the new mm-hmm. actors, and even the returning actors were, like, so green, and it was, like, it, it sounded so off. So it definitely took yeah. me back when I was watching the series the first time. They eventually slipped back mm-hmm. into it. It's just kind mm-hmm. of, like, they really Mr. great by the end. Yeah. It's just everybody was so weird. Mr. Yotsuya, I never got over. <laughs> he wasn't as... His, 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 new, his new voice wasn't as good. Wasn't it wasn't as beautiful and British. The original yeah. voice for Yotsuya and that was the better one, for sure. It's I like the English dub. It may be kind of trashy, but it's my kind of trashy. Because they're putting <laughs> their all into it. And that I just love that. Yeah. Plus, at some point, you know, they started recording the dub when everything was still analog. And by the end of it, it's digital. So it's like this weird transition of like <laughs> different sounds, you know, it's it's the same with Ranma. Like when Ranma started, it was also analog. And by the end, it was done digitally. And by the end of Ranma, also, they had to recast like a bunch of people oh, yeah. because they had also moved on. <laughs> Ranma's, okay, Ranma's voice actor change is like the most extreme difference. 
where oh, you yeah. go from the original actor to Richard Ian Cox. And it's like, they sound nothing alike. <laughs> no, it's totally different. Uh, and they dubbed the movies in OVAs before the fourth through seven seasons of the show. So, like, when you finish the show and go into the movies in OVAs, you're like, wait, now we're back to the original voice. And it's, like, so not? different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I remember when those movies came out and stuff, there was actually stuff in um, Anne America where they had to explain like who certain characters were that popped up in the movies because they hadn't showed up in the TV release yet. <laughs> but I think they wanted to release those the movies and stuff because those were a really easy sell. Like they were standalone, one and done sort of deals. So that was like a pretty simple way of being like, oh, you can just put that and rent it in a video store and, like, you don't really need to know very much because it's a standalone thing. But it was still kind of funny that they were like, you know, ooh, the new movie's coming out. Here's a list of cameos of characters <laughs> that haven't shown up yet. I mean... But here they are! With that first drama <laughs> movie especially, because the opening scene is, like, pretty much all yeah. the minor characters and incidental characters chasing mm -hmm. Rama at, like, the start of it. Yeah. <laughs> Because I remember a lot of my friends going like, who's that guy that looks like the dude on the playing cards? You know, the gambling game. <laughs> I've never seen that guy before. And I was like, yeah, he's way, f he's way later. Like episodes <laughs> like, in the mid 80s. Yeah. Shows up in one episode, but he's like really memorable. Being a fan of anime before Americans accepted that Japan existed feels like suffering. Eh. <laughs> uh, it was a time. <laughs> it seems interesting, but it seems like the kind of transition that movies are going through right now, where a niche group of people were invested in this already and they had a little market catering towards them, but the, but mm -hmm. for it to be profitable now, the market the, the market has to cater towards a wider audience. That is, what, what is this? Why is this movie in a different language? I don't get it. <laughs> What yeah, is yeah. this? Where are we? Why is everybody <laughs> got them eyes? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> Anime is very similar. Nobody knew they they were. Some of them were speaking another language. The eyes were, looked very strange. There we go. It's the same thing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the cost of entry is so much lower now. It's very accessible to get into anime because it's like streaming free on legal sites like Crunchyroll. And mm -hmm. it's just more widespread and available at places like uh, Walmart or Target. You go in and buy, like, the most mainstream of stuff. So it's like... I bought Sailor Moon at Walmart and I felt so <laughs> weird. I was like... so weird. This is so weird. What? <laughs> I need to buy it from my GeoCities fan sites. I'm definitely <laughs> thankful we live in an era where you can get a Blu-ray of Rama that has 23 episodes for $40 instead of a VHS oh. tape for, oh, yeah. uh, with only two episodes with only either the dub or the sub, not both, for $40. Yep. Well, <laughs> that was the dub. If you wanted the sub, it was 60 Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you could get a, a special offer where you could like get a clock along with it for like an extra 50 <laughs> I want that clock. Or you could get the, the whole box set for uh the low low price of three hundred dollars <laughs> <laughs> that's like that, that's that's that sounds like an aniplex price oh boy. but that was the box sets were available only dubbed yep yep wow. that one yep so if you wanted the subtitle one well you're just gonna you're out of luck you're gonna have to buy them all separately mm. sucks to me 
Eresei also seems to like have been hit some of the hardest by that sort of thing and be- being released in that sort of era because yeah. there's very little um, there's there's a lot of cultural awareness about it. Just there seems to be a lot less documented about it in America. This is like the first time the manga has been released in full in America or will be released in full in America. It's really interesting that all of these different cultural touchstones were marred by so many different things. So a lot of people's perceptions are. Like, my, like Maizenikoku, it's finally getting a release after God knows how long. Like, what, summer? Yeah, it'll it, come out in June. Yeah, this yeah. summer. It's just kind of weird that these things that are just so commonplace in Japan and have been so commonplace in America are finally getting, like, decent releases. Yeah, right. I think it's yeah. just the market is there for it now, yeah. because the generation who are kind of growing up on these things are now, like, at an age where they have the purchasing power to, like, support these releases more consistently, and also, you know, it costs a lot less to collect these series. But also there are new generations of fans who are getting into anime and learning about this stuff and are interested in classic stuff. So there's just more of a mm-hmm. market for it now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just really a marked difference coming back from Japan and being like, oh yeah, this is kind of sort of obscure. Meanwhile, the post office was selling Urusei stamps. It's <laughs> time the yep. kiosk for it, or they're selling Mizunikoku. Well, whatever, whatever the heck they got. I don't know, Fist of the North Star things at the at the train station. They had a whole little thing where yep. you could like ride the train with Kenshiro. Aww, yeah, it was so cool. But that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> and when we come back to America, it's just kind of like, wow, we're getting a bow well, finally. I mean- if you like Dragon Ball and you like Sailor Moon, you can find those pretty easily anywhere. And stuff. So those are pretty Eternal Editions. Pretty, are pretty easy to get merchandise for. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a growing audience for a lot of anime as well. Like we saw Broly do really well at the box office last year and uh the new MJ movie is also doing really well. Yeah, a lot of my kids were yeah, gonna go there's see a it. L- Mm-hmm. There's a lot more anime coming out in theaters, which is great. Oh, I yeah. love it. I mean, if you if you went back in time and you told, like, tiny little baby me that, hey, someday you're going to go to the movie theaters and watch anime, my mind would have been blown. I would have been like, what? You told me that yeah, in middle what? school. I wouldn't believe it. And multiple it. in the same month. I saw, like, four anime films in theaters this month, and I think the record has been, like, seven. Damn. It's like... Yeah, some, <laughs> some are in the same week. Yeah. Like, when I went and saw Ride Your Wave, like, apparently on the same night, they were also showing... Violet Evergarden, yeah. I mean, I was lucky to be able to see on those different days, but they were, like, back-to-back days. So it was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, man, that's pretty awesome, even though, like, you know, I'm not going to see both, but that's still great. Like, wow. It's nice to have that kind of option, and it's good to... It's especially good to expand that sort of market. So the the Japanese animation industry can grow and flourish, and more Americans can learn that there are other places than America that make movies, <laughs> and that animation yeah. isn't just Pixar or Disney. Yeah, <laughs> that would be totally. nice if people learned that. <laughs> I feel bad because I realize now Colton never got no, to. No, yeah, talk I mean, about nobody loves you, Colton. <laughs> Colton, I believe that your theater is actually your first experience reading a Ruko Takashi manga, so. But would you really? like to like yeah. go into like maybe some of your previous interactions with the works of Runko Takahashi as well? Uh well, I mean it, it's like you said, like Takahashi unfortunately is like a real is re- is a real blind spot for me as far as like manga goes because I mean, you know, I like I I'm familiar with her works obviously. Like I I watched a bit of Inuyasha back in the day, like 
a little bit. I never really got into that series in particular. And then uh, even with Odyssey Yatsura, like I've I've known what it is for years and years because I think oh god I want to say back in two thousand eight two thousand nine I actually discovered the anime for it just kind of online or whatever and uh, I watched a couple episodes just kind of during my off time at school or whatever I think there was one day where like I literally finished my English final on our laptops or whatever and I was like oh well I I got like forty minutes to kill like. Might as well watch some Odyssey Yatsura, I guess, because I was kind of already in the middle of watching it. And um, I didn't watch, like, a lot of it, because I think I eventually... I don't know if I just, like, just got kind of bored with it at the time or whatever. I don't know. It just... I just kind of lost interest in it, so I don't I don't even think I made it, like, ten episodes in. I really didn't wa- watch a lot of it. So, yeah, that was back around then. And then literally, like, ten years later, we finally get, you know, a, a re-release from Viz, which... uh you know, when that was announced, I couldn't help but think, man, my friend Lum is going to be very happy about this. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then, you know, I, I, I had a feeling we'd be talking about it for the podcast. So I, you know, I, I read the first volume back when it came out. And, you know, I think at first I, like, I, I, I kind of knew what I was getting into. So I don't know, like, I, I'm I'm still kind of like, I'm still kind of, like, collecting my thoughts on, like, how I feel about Odyssey Yatsura. Like, I, I think it is, I think it is fun. But, you know, as we've discussed on multiple different episodes of the podcast, I think I just I just have this weird thing with gag manga where like because, you know, you, you we have the tendency to read through a lot in order to get ready for an episode of the podcast, depending on what we're talking about. And uh, I, I always make the mistake of binging too much of a single gag manga because I feel like this something like this and say like Dr. Slump, I feel like I personally get so much more out of just reading like in doses like mm. Urusei Yatsura is the kind of thing where because look I, I I read manga on the toilet like who doesn't <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> see that. Urusei Yatsura is the kind of thing I would read like while while using the bathroom just to kind of pass the time like that, that was a funny little chapter or whatever but I don't know like I think once like the cast starts to kind of you know, increase and whatnot, and Ataru and Lum have more characters to kind of work off of. I think that's when I started, like, enjoying it a little bit more. And it's like you guys said, like, I appreciate Urusei Yatsura for it being, like, just this kind of creative playground for Takahashi to just kind of do whatever she wants. Like, I love series like that. Like, I'm a huge fan of, like, you know, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure for, like, the exact same reason. Like, I love comics where the artist can just kind of do whatever, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you could tell that they're having fun like writing and drawing this thing but uh and so i will admit i i didn't get a chance to read like a lot i think i read i read at least like the first two omnibus volumes at this point and so far i can classify Odyssey Yatsura as pre-mendo and post-mendo yeah i mean that's a good <laughs> distinction because the status yeah. quo changes when mendo is introduced and actually the chapter where mendo is introduced is actually the first chapter where Yurisiyatsura started being published as a long-term serialization. All the chapters before that point were in different cycles of short-form mini-serialization, but starting mm. with that chapter where Mendo was introduced, that's when it had like a permanent spot in Shonen Sunday from 1980 to through when it ended in 1987. Mm-hmm. So like, it's a huge status quo show, it's also a huge like, it's kind of like the difference between season one and season two of like a show. It's interesting because, like, I guess what would be, like, the first two, I, I guess, single volumes 
or I guess whatever's covered in the first omnibus volume is really different from the second omnibus because like a lot of the first omnibus is is a lot of like Ataru being visited and attracting all these different like weird supernatural creatures and very often that gives the opportunity to involve characters like Cherry and uh, and his sister and whatnot. And it's uh, it's a lot more supernatural than it is sci-fi, even though there are some sci-fi elements in there. I mean, they certainly visit alien planets. But what's cool about Yurisiata is that, like, all the aliens in the series are based off of, like, Japanese mythology and folklore stuff. So, like, Ben yeah. Ken and her group are based on the Seven Lucky Gods. And then Oyuki is Yuki Ona. So I like that mixing of, like, sci-fi and supernatural mythology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I was I was I was also gonna say like once it once I got to the second omnibus then it just kind of in you know once Mendo's introduced like the series starts to really lean more into being like a high school comedy yeah the school becomes more emphasized yeah which I I think I'm a little more of a fan of personally and I don't know if that's just because Mendo is just such a funny character he's probably my favorite so far <laughs> Mendo adds a great <laughs> dynamic into the group for sure. Like, it's cool to have, like, a person who is basically a reflection of Ataru, but he's handsome and he puts up more of a better facade of being gentlemanly so people like him more. But they play off each other well because they both hate Mm -hmm. each other's guts because they're so similar. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because, like, when Urusei Atar first started, Lum wasn't even supposed to be a regular character. No, she was a one-off. supposed to be a one-off. Which is why the second chapter doesn't feature her. Like, they were going to meet a new character in every chapter of the initial, like, first five-chapter run of it. But Lum was just so popular as a character, and people were, like, invested in, like, how the relationship between Ataru, Shinobu, and Lum was going to play out. That they wrote and demanded, like, what's going to happen? Where's Lum? And so I love how Takashi lampshades this at the first page of the third chapter. It's it's literally just, like, Lum's fan club saying, Lum is so beautiful. We want to see her again. Bring her back. <laughs> <laughs> right. It is pretty funny, like, just, like, because, you know, e- even even when I initially dropped the anime, like, from then on up until these uh, new omnibuses were coming out, Basically, over the next decade, I started to realize, like, oh, wow, this character is actually, like, super iconic, and I never realized it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. She is the face of the series. I think that she is easily the most recognizable character, and probably is still one of Takahashi's most iconic character designs. I think Inuyasha is probably second place, but, like, she is, like, really immediately recognizable. Yeah, a few years ago, when a, a bunch of Urusei Atsura guests came to Anime Fest when I went, the character designer for the anime, uh, Akemi Takata, was there. And she was talking about how Lum is literally so iconic in Japan that they did this, like, survey where they showed people just the colors, like, sort of, like, greeny-blue yellow and black and people were like that's lum yeah that lum is uh, again that you you, you you can you can buy like a like lum stuff at the post office lum is is a japanese staple and um because i liked urusei and i was watching it while i was in japan um all my friends said oh yeah yeah 
you, you like the same stuff as my grandparents. <laughs> I was like, you whippersnapper. <laughs> I mean, they, and I was like, I love Lupo the Third. And <laughs> wow, that's great. Now I'm just thinking about that um, test that they did in uh, Super Size Me, where it's like they show kids like pictures of like Ronald McDonald and Jesus, but then they know who Ronald McDonald is, but they don't know who Jesus is. Yeah. <laughs> I just imagine the same thing with like Japanese children, where it's like. Oh, I know who Lum is, but I don't know who this other guy is. Uh, I mean, that's probably more... Yeah, she's probably more... I mean, like, what, only 1% of the population there is Christian? Meanwhile, yeah, 90% of the true. population has probably seen Lum. <laughs> I did, I, one of my friends did say, Dolly! <laughs> There's this other guy who didn't speak English at all, but knew could do a great Zenigata impression, and we had a whole little conversation. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, fun fact, the reason why... Lum had that color hair in the anime was because, you know, in the first couple color images of the manga, Rumiko Takahashi kind of colored her hair in this like rainbow sort of way. Yeah, it's like translucent. It like changes colors. Yeah, because like, I guess she wanted to give her like a alien look like, oh, she has like weird rainbow hair. She still does that, though. That's like her manga interpretation for to this day. I actually just got Lum a figure of it. Mm-hmm. But in the in the anime, they were like, you know, this was made in like the 80s and they didn't have a huge budget. And they're like, <laughs> well, we can't do that. And so they came to a, the character designer, Kemi Takata, and they were like, we want you to figure out what to do with her look. And she said at first she tried to do the heavy black shading that was like in the manga. And she was like, that just did not translate very well. And so she was like, OK, so I'm going to have to like pick a color. And she, like, played around a little bit, but she kind of landed on that sort of, like, greeny color for her hair because she said that she thought it looked very striking next to the the yellow and black uh, tiger stripe. Mm-hmm. So that was, like, how they kind of hit on that. So now that's, like, the iconic look. Like, everyone knows I, uh, Lum as, like, you know, the greeny sort of hair, the yellow and the black, and that's Lum. Yeah. <laughs> Such a good color choice, too. And, like, green also, to me, always communicates, like, some sort of, like, supernatural extraterrestrial feel. I feel like a lot of aliens are colored green in media because there's just something about that color that seems otherworldly. I mean, that's fair. But um, that whole uh, experience of seeing, like, getting to hear, like, Akemi Takata, like, talk about, like, working on Urusei Atsura and then hearing, like, Fumi Hirano talk about being the voice of Lum, and, uh, uh, that was all really cool. Like, oh, she was talking about how, like, the anime and the manga at, like, one point were, you know, going at the same time. (laughs) So sometimes they would feed into each other, which I thought was really interesting. (laughs) Like, Lum's whole, like, speech pattern, like, the dacha thing. I mean, that's a very, very Japanese thing, so... Like, if you don't know about, like, Japanese language, like, sometimes, to put it in a nutshell, like, sometimes you end sentences with, like, a da or a des or something like or that. Or you say zoi if you're King Dedede. <laughs> I love it. By the way, he, uh, Dedede is also the voice of Ranma's dad. Mm. Oh, oh. Wow. fun fact. The Hoshino Kabi one, not the Sakurai. Cause, mm. yeah. Right. Mashi or Sakurai's Ranma's dad. <laughs> so... Uh, Rumiko Takahashi has her say dacha to try to make her sound like she's foreign but cute, you know? Mm-hmm. 
It's like a cutesy way of speaking, but like also different and weird a little bit. So in the anime and the manga, at first she would just say the cha. But when um, Fumi Hirano was like speaking, like, you know, acting, you know, being Lum, she said that like after a while she was like, you know, I feel like Lum would make variations of this. Like she wouldn't just say the cha. Like she would say like the cha, ne? Like, you know, <laughs> s- something like that. Like, here and there. And the director was like, oh, that's a great idea. You should do that. Like, if you feel she would, like, variate, like, how she says something. Like, you know, go ahead and just, you know, roll with it. And apparently Rumiko Takahashi loved that so much, she started doing it in the manga, too. Oh, wow. So it was kind of like this whole back and forth with, like, sometimes something that happened in the anime would affect how she looked at the manga and sometimes the manga would change something that was in the anime so i thought that was really cute (laughs) yeah oh man that sounds so awesome though to just be at a panel with those awesome people like man oh yeah like the voice of ataru was also there and like i have a picture actually of when i went to one of their panels uh they wanted to take a picture of like everyone in with the crowd that was there and I don't know how it happened, but Fumi Hirano stood right next to me. Oh <laughs> so, That's amazing. So I have this I have this picture of like the whole crowd and then Fumi Hirano and like Ataru, the voice actor of Ataru and Akemi Takata, the character designer, they're all like in the middle and I'm just like right next to her going like ee! Awesome. <laughs> That's incredible. I was like, Love is next to me. <laughs> I was actually really lucky and that was a year that I was also on staff at the convention. So like I actually got to like interact with the guests like a little bit behind the scenes as well, which was like very, very exciting for me. Like some stuff happened that like I probably like can't share just for privacy's sake, but it was like really cool to just be like, there were times where I would overhear them like talking about like, because at one point they were doing a live read of one of the scenes from Beautiful Dreamer. And, like, at one point, I heard, like, Fumi Hirano say something like, oh, I wish I could remember what Oshi-san told me about this scene. And I was just like, oh, I can't believe I'm hearing this with my ears. I was just, like, so exciting. But that was, like, a really cool year. Like, I learned so much, like, behind-the-scenes stuff about Urusei Atsura, like, the anime that year that I had, like, I would have never known about because... You know, it's just stuff that happened to them while they were doing it. And uh, it was just, uh, it was really cool. Like, I did a whole podcast episode where, like, I recapped, like, all the panels and stuff. Like, if anyone's interested, like, I can give you the link for it. Yeah, link in the show notes. It's a great listen. Because it was a great, just uh, super great experience. And I I really loved it. And, like, Fumi Hirano dressed up, like, sort of, I described it as, like, how I feel like Lum's mom would dress. Like, she was very classy. But it was like a tiger stripe, but like a subtle tiger stripe dress, like very like just mature. And um, she wore like a little short green, like dark green, not like bright green, but like short, like dark green wig. And um, she had like a a yellow feather boa around her (laughs) neck. (laughs) It was so cute. I was like, oh, how are you so adorable? Oh my gosh. (laughs) And she sounds just like how she sounds in the anime, like still. It's insane. Wow. She still sounds just like Lum. It's so cool. Oh my gosh. 
That's, That's awesome. incredible. Man, I mean, like, Tony Hirano's voice is just so distinct, too. Like, you don't hear in a whole other stuff, but when you do, like, she's, like, immediately recognizable. Mm-hmm. It still boggles my mind that that was the first ever anime she ever auditioned for. Yeah. I mean, she's so good. And nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, your first role ever was Lum? Like, jeez. <laughs> Talk about like that's amazing. Just like blowing up overnight, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah. Sorry to like tangent away into the anime, but like I-, I wanted to sort of like you know convey how like since the two were running at the same time at some point, like the two sort of like fed off of each other in like really interesting ways, and I thought that was really cool because like that doesn't always happen, but back then they were kind of loosey goosey with it, mm-hmm. so. It was really cute to see, uh, well, to hear how, like, that happened, because I would have had no no idea, you know, no frame of reference unless I'd heard the story, which I thought was really cool. (laughs) (laughs) I really do like that relationship between the manga and anime, where there is, like, a back-and-forth exchange of ideas, where Takahashi would incorporate something new from the anime, and then the anime would take notice of the changes Takahashi was making in the manga. Like, I like how Mm -hmm. it was, like, that kind of living cooperative kind of coexisting yeah and like how her her manga style changed over the course of the series because it was so long running you know the the anime also sort of like changed visually as time progressed oh yeah you can see significant like style shifts in the beginning i've had more than one person say that it looks kind of like a peanuts anime (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah it has like kind of round heads and like that kind of big eyes or whatever. But yeah, it kind of like softens definitely as the series goes on. And then the characters kind of have like, they kind of get a little taller. They kind of get a little slimmer, I feel, in terms of their facial features. It becomes more like Ramba. Yeah. Well, and then Ramba also has its own like evolution from beginning to end of that series. Like I think by the end oh, of totally. Yatra, it definitely lo- like, I mean, gets to the point where Takashi's style is like what you find in early Ramba. Mm-hmm. 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 But yeah, I mean, even over the course of these early volumes, from the first chapter to the most recent volume, you can most definitely see like a huge change in style of how the characters are drawn. And I think Lum is the most notable in that regard. Oh yeah, when you first see her, she like, she kind of looks like a sexy pinup model almost. Mm-hmm. And her horns are a little bit more prominent and a little like more pointy. Like she's supposed to look a little bit more like devilish, yeah. I guess. They're a bit more curved too. Mm-hmm. As, as it goes on, they just become kind of little nubs instead of like curved oni horns. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. To soften her looks a bit, like make her a little more cutesy, you know, which is fine. Yeah, her pupils <laughs> definitely get bigger. Oh yeah, her yeah. eyes definitely get she also way gets bigger. A lot shorter, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a little bit rounder, and then she becomes a gremlin for a while, and it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, really love is so fun when she's like she makes the best faces. <laughs> she's adorable. So good. <laughs> Like, one minute she's, like, really cute, and then the next minute she's, like, absolutely feral. <laughs> I think those feral moments are so adorable, too. It's just, like, her it's opening so her mouth, and we have these big, like, sharp fangs, and she's, like, screaming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so cute. I like when she's casually drawn as feral. It's the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when she's just sitting there, like, <laughs> <laughs> 
I think one of my favorites is like at the end of the chapter where Lum disguises herself as like a normal girl and like when she finally loses it she's like her horns have like grown to like a massive size and she's like yeah just like glaring down at Ataru with like the sharpest of sharp fangs it's just so great <laughs> I love it it's so good the school has just accepted that ev- that nobody's ever going to learn anything and this is this is what their lives have become mm-hmm. <laughs> all right so what do we cover next boss well i wanted <laughs> to ask you guys like what are some of your like favorite chapters moments from these early stories like what really sticks out to you the most um, I like the chapters with Mendo in them. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah, well, I know. It's no, it's no, no shock, right? I don't know. I made like a like a very small list, which again it started increasing after Mendo showed up. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I mean, I do like I do like some of the early uh, material. Like I, I really like the chapter where uh, Atari's trying to talk on the phone with Shinobu, but yeah. um, but Lump keeps trying to intercept their phone calls, and it just becomes this like this like huge like life or death thing where like that results in like his father giving him like his like little raincoat or whatever, and it's like actually a really sweet moment, which I really appreciated because like I think part of the reason I I wasn't super as into the first couple volumes was just because like. I don't know, like, some, sometimes I, I thought Ataru's, like, family shenanigans could be funny, but th- there was a point where I was just like, sometimes it just gets kind of sad. <laughs> I love Ataru's parents. I love their uh, never troubled relationship. Him. Like, like, like <laughs> I, I, know, I know it's supposed to be played for last, but, like, sometimes they just have so much contempt for their son, and it's just like, wow. I think oh. the mo- moments that really stick out to me, because there's, like, not even much of a joke there, just, like, super sad, is, like, in the ninth chapter, while Ataru and Lum are, like, dealing with, like, they think like, their house is, like, haunted by a specter, and then Cherry and Sakura, like, come over, and then they, like, summon, like, their own spirits, and then they start fighting with each other. But, like, while that is going on, like, Atari's parents are, like, off on a vacation, and then they're just commiserating about how miserable their lives are and how they wish they had a girl. <laughs> I also thought the Monster Mash disco chapter or whatever was that pretty was amazing. Great. Yeah. Oh, any of the chapters that are in, it, like, a disco are usually really good. Yeah. I like the 80s. So you're telling me there's more like that? Because now I'm looking forward to those. It's the yeah, 80s. Yeah. There's disco yeah. everywhere. <laughs> yeah, man. If you wanna if you wanna be a hip cool teen, you gotta go to the disco, dude. Yeah. And there's a <laughs> lot more dancing scenes in the anime too, in several episodes. It's a lot groovier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Discos were very huge in the eighties in Japan. If you ever play the Yakuza games in Yakuza Zero, going to the disco is a huge part of <laughs> the plot. <laughs> That sounds amazing. Which I mean, it is. It is amazing. Um, but like in the anime, like those uh, chapters where they go to discos are like extra fun because like visually they make all these really cool like little funky light shows. And there's like you know, of course, the '80s music and whatnot, and it's really fun and cute. Uh, and everyone's wearing very, very fashionable outfits. <laughs> <laughs> it's super great. Like, if you love that sort of retro style that's, like, seems to be coming back 
again, which I think is kind of wild, but like also like perfect for me because I grew up in that era. So I'm like, yeah, I'm fashionable again, kids. Get with it. <laughs> City funk's coming back. It's gonna. Ah, it's the new yeah. hip thing. It is. It is. But yeah, I love those those chapters where they go to like discos and stuff are always so silly and good. I love the, I don't know why I love it so much. I love the chapter where Ray shows up and like he's trying to convince Lum to marry him. And then he ends up like just running around <laughs> and accidentally proposing to like 50 different women, including Ataru's oh, mom. It. <laughs> it's, it's not even proposing, it's just, will you cook my meals forever? And then everyone takes it as a proposal because he's just so handsome. It was a yes! Yeah. Oh. Everyone takes it as a marriage proposal, which is like, Super weird. And they immediately <laughs> leave it. their, like, boyfriends or partners to, like, go chasing after Ray. <laughs> Which is wild, because I don't even think Ray is that attractive, to be honest. I mean, you can <laughs> see why Lum leaves him. He is, like, the most shallow. All he thinks about is eating. I am sorry, <laughs> girls. There has been a misunderstanding. <laughs> I love <this> giant <laughs> scroll of Japanese for dummies. <laughs> He's just, he's just rapidly searching through it. <laughs> I also, I really like, I mean, obviously I like the uh, the chapter with Baku the Dream Eater yeah. because that's obviously going to be something that inspires uh, Beautiful Dreamer, which is a favorite of mine. Um, and also I just think Baku is a really interesting, like, uh, folklore creature. Yeah. He's really cool. I also love, I had totally forgotten about this, because uh, it's been a while since I've read the manga. It's been like a hot moment. Um, but I love the chapter where Lum puts Ataru in a copy machine, and it's sort of this kind of homage to the fly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great, because, you know, I love horror, so like, I was like, oh yeah, she did do this weird thing that was basically the fly, but it was like Ataru in a notebook. Yeah. So like Ataru get, gets sucked in a notebook and then there's this weird body horror sort of thing where they like strip the uh, the other Ataru copy into like pieces and like hand him out. They sell him for 50 people. yen each. Yeah. <laughs> like, and everybody's just kind of like, this is really gross, but I mean, it works. Yeah, got Mendo's notes. Yeah, because the copies have, like, all of Mendo's, like, physics notes, I think yeah. it is. And, um, like, there's one panel where, like, you see this kid, like, he's trying to, like, read the notes, but you see him, like, looking inside the copy's mouth. It's so weird. I love it. It's so bizarre. I mean, it it really does highlight, like, what we were saying earlier about how, like, this is just Rumiko Takahashi playing around and just being as weird and wild as she wants to be. Uh, because, like... Where else would you see something like that? It's such a over-the-top ridiculous idea. But, like, the great thing about these chapters is that, like, they're pretty much, like, sitcom-y. They're pretty standalone. So, like, once you know these characters, like, you can kind of just jump into almost any chapter and you know what's going on because they're, you know, at the end, even if something major happens by the next chapter, it's like, whatever, don't don't think too much about it. it it's oh that part's over whatever was still wrong at the end got resolved somehow you didn't see it but it did it's all good <laughs> it's fine yeah it's fine so, yeah i mean like yeah a lot of like animated sitcoms make that joke where it's like oh they'll be fine next week yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's totally 
all right. Like, don't even worry about it. Uh, so it, it's it's really great. I do agree that um, with what Colton was saying earlier is that since it's a a gag manga, you don't necessarily want to binge read it because like it gets the comedy beats while they're great, they get repetitive like after a while. Yeah, they kind of flow in the same sort of way. So it, it would be like you know I wouldn't sit down and watch like three hours straight of Looney Tunes. Nah. Because that would just be, like, exhausting. Because it's, like, the same thing over and over again. Mm. As good as it is, I mean, too much at once and you're just like, oh, I'm tired of it. It would be like binging on candy. (laughs) Like, oh, that was too much. (laughs) It was so good, but too much, you know? So I do agree that, like, you know, it's in, like, you know, good chunks. Like, you you know, you read a few chapters, you're like, oh, that was good. And then you come back, like, you know, a day later. Oh, I'll read a couple more. Yeah, sometimes, you know. You know. I'll be at work or whatever, and uh, you know when I when I have a little bit of downtime, sometimes I'll just pull up my phone and be like, "Oh, I'll read a chapter or to say Yatsura, just kind of pass the time." You know, it's a yeah. yeah, it's a good series to kind of do that kind of thing with. If you if, if you just need something to kind of read to pass the time, it's good for that kind of thing too. Yeah. Speaking of like really weird chapters, at, at least out of like what I've read, I feel like the weirdest chapter that I've read so far is the chapter with the 4D camera. Oh yeah! <laughs> oh yeah! Because <laughs> it's like I, I have so many questions about like how how this works, but like they don't they don't really bother like answering them at all, which is which I kind of respect. Mm-hmm. I, I at least the, at least not as far as I remember. I I think the idea was it is the urban legend about about a pane of glass reflecting a pane of glass, and the the reflections another world, mm. and just yeah. like the idea of the infinite because it's. Because of Atara's reflection from the the glass that he's standing in front of, and the glass behind the building, and the camera itself. Yeah, because it's an it's an antique camera, mm-hmm. so inside there would be an, another mirror. Yeah, mm. and somehow that transports him to the desert because that's how this works. The the great thing about Urfusei Atsuda is that Rumiko Takahashi is a big fan of both Western and Japanese folklore and urban legends, so she just throws them together in a gigantic pot and says, okay, what what we're doing this week? Mm, let's see. <laughs> right? Because, I mean, Lum and her whole family, well, her whole planet is based off of the Oni, which is a very popular Japanese folklore like yokai thing to the point where children cry at the side of black people because they think that they're oni oh boy yeah. my, 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 some of my acquaintances in college had uh, in, when i was in japan had that happen to them oh, it was like, that's unfortunate it was very unfortunate thankfully that's not a thing in this manga <laughs> yeah, yeah thank god except for that but, weird little um, climbing bell oh yeah. the 80s in japan <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I think that was one of the things that I really enjoyed about it. Like, I was like, this is very Japanese. There's a lot of, like, cool, like, yokai things, and I love that kind of stuff, like, spooky urban myths and scary stories. Like, I love that kind of stuff. But she made it, like, fun and cute, which was, like, you know, interesting because you didn't see that kind of take a lot at the time, as far as I know. I mean, I could be totally yeah. wrong. There's this one manga that's like responsible for this this huge resurgence of uh, traditional Japanese yokai. I can't remember what it's called, but it's freaking everywhere. There's even like theme restaurants based around it. Oh, Gege no, yeah, Kitaro. Gege no Kitaro. Oh yeah, 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 that's a classic. Yeah, that one just won't do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that existed. 
that one predates um, or Seatsura by like a good ten a good chunk years, of time. 10 years. 10, 20 years, I think. It's close enough. Yeah. Time is wrong. But that was like more like, ooh, kind of ooky spooky, but not really. <laughs> So, Urdus Ayatsura kind of took it and were like, oh, it's more cookie and cutesy and fun, which was, like, you know, different and cool. But I think that was an element that was, like, a big appeal, but also kind of to its detriment, because in America at the time when Viz was releasing this, like, nobody really knew what, like, yokai were or all these, like, very, very Japanese elements. And so Viz at sometimes tried to, like, come up with equivalents to some of the puns or the jokes. And sometimes they were good and sometimes they weren't. But they were really trying. But there were a lot of people who were like, I don't know, I don't get why a lot of this is supposed to be funny or, you know. And so, like, you had to explain a lot of stuff sometimes, and it was like, uh, uh, well... Or you'd have to <laughs> rewrite because... it. Like, in the yeah. joke in the first chapter when Ataru sees Lump's dad for the first time, you know, he throws beans at him yes. because, in reference to Setsubone and throwing beans at Bioni. But in oh, the God. original God. English edition... He instead throws candy at Lump's dad. It's like a Halloween joke. Yeah, that's one of my favorite rewrites, actually, because it's kind of brilliant. Mm. Like, they basically redrew the little setsubun beans as candy. And <laughs> Ataru goes, yeah, it's Halloween, right? <laughs> Trick or treat. And he just, like, <laughs> throws the candy at him, which I was like, that's actually quite clever. Until you get to the other chapters where setsubun is kind of a big... Yeah. yeah, I wonder how they would have handled, like, the series of chapters where Lum and Ben 10 compete during Setsubun. Wow, they never really got there's that a lot far. of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just imagine Ataru coming to Lum's planet and being like, oh, so this is how you celebrate uh, Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> that should have happened at some point. It's sad that it didn't. I think the chapter where they introduce Ben 10, they kind of gloss over the whole Setsubun thing and they just have it as like a sort of King of the Hill tug of war sort of thing. That's how they explain it, which like, that's fair because it's kind of what it was, what they were doing, but they tried to like downplay the Setsubun thing like as much as possible, which I get, like you're going to have to try to downplay that to not alienate like readers who have no idea what the hell is going yeah, on. Yeah, they, they make it more mm-hmm. of like a like a sports activity field day kind of thing as opposed to like something actually like cultural, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. They don't right. even like explain why. I'm looking back over it now and they don't even explain like what the occasion is mm-hmm. for why Lum's people and the cosmic gods are like competing. They just say it's like a once a year yeah. event, but not like the specifically that it's best fun. Yeah, which is, I mean, that's fine. To get the comic out and make it sort of, like, easier to read for just, like, a random dude who picks up the comic at a comic shop, you know, that's gonna be fine. Mm. So I understand completely why they did that back in the day. And, you know, sometimes they kind of, you know, flexed creatively. Like, that Halloween gag, I still think that's a really good rewrite for the time. Yeah. Fun, yeah. And the uh, Chow Chow Chigao joke they rewrote to be something about like he's carrying around chow chows um 
and Atari starts making cracks about how it makes him, well, Satan look like a stupid moron instead of the instead of them constantly contradicting him, which is the joke in the in the in the in the, in the original mm-hmm. edition because Chow Chow kind of sounds like they're saying Chigao, mm-hmm. which means wrong. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, okay. Yep. That that makes a little more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Rumiko Takahashi used so many name and word puns for this. I mean. The That's series. why they even play the game of tag, because tag in Japanese is like Oni... It's Oni, Oni Goku, yeah. which is Oni's yeah. game. I always get miffed when they call Lum and her people ogres, because I'm like... Yeah, actually, that is a good transition to like like how we think about the new translation versus old translation, some of the differences. Yeah. Oni are different enough from what we would think of as ogres, that I think that it's... And, and enough like games and uh, enough games and manga have um, have started translating just oni as oni. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, and considering the amount of puns that are made using oni, I think it'd be kind of important to do that. But that's just me. If Little yeah. King Story can do it, or Yatsura can do it, but I do appreciate that um, all the translation notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was kind of surprised they didn't just go with oni this time yeah. because I was like, I feel like we're in a time where like. A manga reader would know what an oni is. Well, story you could have just put a translation note as well if you felt yeah. you needed to. But on the flip side, I do appreciate that they translated it as ogre and not devil. Yeah. Because yeah. I've seen people translate oni as devil. And I'm like, no. mm, I'd rather you go with ogre if you're going to translate it. Because that's not yeah. the same. Yeah, no, not a different connotation. Yeah, yeah, totally different. For the most part, like, I feel like this is a really great translation. Like, I don't really have, like, a lot of qualms with anything that was translated. Like, I think, I mean, other than, like, Oni, I was like, eh, I would have preferred that, but it's fine. I think the lettering is really good for the most part. Mm -hmm. Some of the parts where they changed things into English... Some of the font choices, I was like, eh, I'm not too huge on that. But, like, I get that they're going for, like, sort of a goofy, sort of old school look. So I understand some of the choices that they were made. Whoever edited the cloud, the rain cloud um, chapter where, you know, the rain cloud says, like, English words, like, no and stuff. Like, whoever edited that, they did a really good job. That could not have been easy. I kind of wish that they'd done something a little different with the new logo though hmm. yeah. yeah it doesn't really match the japanese logo and it doesn't really look that distinct either just looks like they chose a yeah. font and drew a star over the eye yeah i was kind of hoping they'd like go to discotech and be like hey you made this really cool or a Seatsura logo for when you release Beautiful Dreamer. Can we use that? Can we pay for that and use that? Because it looks like very similar to the Japanese logo. It's in the same sort of style with the red, with the stripes and like all that. And it looks really good. So I was kind of expecting maybe they'd like try to synergize that to go together. But like, I guess not. Which is, yeah, it's understandable. <laughs> but at least like the the original viz logo like they made it look like sort of cute in 80s with like the little bubble letters and it was really cute but this is just kind of like eh, yeah, it's 
That's fine. <laughs> like, yeah. it's okay. I suppose it's modern, but I don't know. It doesn't have the same kind of personality. Also, every translation note says, um, makes note of the fact that the er, the say in Urdesei uses the kanji character for star. Yeah. Um, and that's always the first translation note, but, it, but none of the pages actually use that. None of them actually use the Japanese logo anywhere. So... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it kind of explains why it's called Urtheopsera, though. Yeah. Because you know, they didn't... Because, like, in English, you don't really know what those words mean. And it, since it's not written out yeah. in kanji, you don't even... You don't really understand, like, the pun in your yeah. say, what they're doing with that. Yeah. So. Oh, I do have one big gripe. Let me see. Where was it? I bookmarked it. Okay. So, in... Volume three. Oh, okay, I'm holding that. Volume three. If you go to data files, oh, I think I know what you're going to talk about. It's talking about Hanawa Sensei. Uh-huh. It's all about him, and there's a little picture of Onsen. Yep. And they translate his name to Hot Spring Emblem. Why? Oh yeah, yeah. Why can't they, you they do that constantly? They, they call him Hot Spring Emblem Sensei. Yeah, I that is a name changer. I do not understand. Like, I I think you can have a, you know, a note just to say, like, this is what an onsen is. It's a hot spring. And leave it at that. Why are you changing yeah. the mother three the translators hot spring got emblem? That. Like, well, that's not even doesn't even sound like a name. I, What's great about the name Onsen no. Mark is that it refers to the Onsen marks on his coat, but Mark is also like a name. A name, no, yeah, yeah, good. exactly. But emblem, emblem is not a name. I was just like, what? <laughs> what? What? I mean, uh, that that is my one big. Yeah. Like everything else is like fine. Like I can, I can deal with everything. That's fine. But the choice of hot spring emblem, I was like, what? yeah, totally. What? That's my biggest like gripe. It's like what? that makes no sense to me. Like I noticed that they're also going to be calling Kotatsu Neku Kotatsu Kitty, and I'm fine with that. Like that's, cute. that's fine. Yeah, I'm fine with but, that. But like, it's cute. Hot spring emblem is such a mouthful. It doesn't sound like a good mm. name. It sounds like they're creating yeah, more work for themselves like and trying to fit in like you know, words in the panel uh, into word balloons later on, like, to fit that name in. Mm. I would have even accepted Hot Spring. Yeah. I would have, I would have accepted that. But Hot Spring Emblem? (laughs) What? Uh, Yes, everyone's favorite That's just so literal. I I was very disappointed in that. I was like, oh, no. No, no, no. Because, like, even... Even when Discotech released Beautiful Dreamer, they still kept yeah. his name as Onsen Mark. <laughs> like, <laughs> because Mark, it's it's like Lomo saying, Mark is an actual name. Like, I know literally the word used can mean emblem and like that's, you know, whatever. But Mark is like a name. Like, oh, yeah, it, that's it sounds the- like the kind of thing where it's like, as a translation, I guess it, it sounds like it's technically correct, but it totally like doesn't convey the joke at all. It's too yeah. literal. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a little, it's a little too on the nose, and it also it makes it makes him feel like a bootleg. <laughs> like you know, I'm hello, kids. I'm hot spring emblem. <laughs> It's like, no, you are on said mark. It's almost like a JoJo rename. <laughs> oh like, my gosh, yeah. That's what it feels like. <laughs> it's like, 
I get it, but no. <laughs> no. I was like, I mean, he's not even my favorite character, but I was just like, what was the decision making process for this? I would love to know. I would I would love it if someone could like explain how that decision was made because I just like you said, I feel like that's a whole mouthful and it's way more to type than onsen mark. Like, and it would be so easy to just put a thing in the back. Like, this is what onsen means. Like, that's why it's funny. Cause he has the onsen thing all over his clothes and blah, blah, blah. Like that's the joke. But uh, I don't know. It, it just, that was the thing that made me go, uh, uh, excuse me. Cause like, Cause I was pretty sure they call him Onsen Mark in the in the old version too. Yeah, I mean, one thing I noticed about these early chapters is that they have not yet addressed Onsen by name. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like he appears as early so. as chapter four, but like through up to the end of the fourth volume, they still have not actually called him by any name. Yeah, they have yeah. him for a, they, they have him um, as a plot device for a, a lot of things until Hanawa Sensei takes him to, I like mm-hmm. Hanawa Sensei, but he's, <laughs> I he's love, gone forever. I love the character profile for Hanawa Sensei that they wrote up, which is all about how forgettable a character he is and how he fits into the background. <laughs> right? Like it's written like it's supposed to be like glowing, but it's like all just like a dick about how minor a character he is and how actually Olsen Mark is more interesting. And he should owe Hanama a debt for making him look more interesting. <laughs> I, I like the I, I like the idea, but they but I don't I don't think Takahashi could really fit him into the dynamic because I I know she was going for the idea of a chaotic classroom, but mm-hmm. he doesn't really call it out enough. Hanawa sensei is too nice and like too willing to oh, go yeah. along with things. Like he's so passive mm-hmm. compared to Onsen Mark, who is like beleaguered, frustrated, and at odds with the students. Like, uh, yeah, I, I, I would. I think that that can work if they really, really like they did in his introduction chapter. Just go into him trying to rationalize absolutely everything that's going on, and um, and, and through thinking about this way too much coming off as a lot more dense than he actually kind of is. Mm. Like, um, just, just his, his refusal to accept Lum as an alien. It's like, oh, yes, you are flying. That's great. But uh, please, please, please wear these. It is, it is immodest. It's a, it's a modest for you to fly in a, in a skirt, just, just like, <laughs> I, I, and um and him just getting really really into just all the schemes that these kids are cooking up and being like, yes, I, I'm so happy for you, children. <laughs> that can work in the chaotic classroom setting. It's just it would you would need to focus up the spotlight on him a lot more. So, converse, but it's it, it's a lot easier and quicker to just write a character who's like I. Fuck this. Yeah. You know, one thing I yeah. also want to mention about the character profiles though is that I like how they kind of dig into like, you know, this is kind of weird aspect of that that character. Let's try and rationalize it. Like when Hanawa says that he has been unemployed for six months, and the character data profile is like going, "Well, actually, Tomobik is a public school, and they have like a certain like time period for when they were hiring." And let go of people. So, like, why would Hanawa Sensei be unemployed for six months? <laughs> I just like them trying to rationalize those kind of consistencies. It's like, eh, don't think too hard about it. <laughs> but, um, 
you know, going back to the onsen mark thing, part of me is like hoping that since they haven't actually named him by name in the series, that whoever was translating this data file didn't realize that that was like a character's name mm-hmm. and just um, translated it like literally like square like at face value yeah. like they didn't realize they were t- talking about a character because i feel like that would be you know this is a huge oh, book yeah. so it would be easy to miss that in the editing I process think, yeah. i hope so, they course correct oh um, they actually get to a point where his name is said but yeah like these data files are like referring to events that are happening throughout the course of this 34 volume series so they're like translating panels that they aren't gonna get to for a couple more years even so it's like Mm -hmm. yeah they might not have like the context for like oh uh this is why some characters say what they say or like why some characters are named what they name (laughs) yeah i mean they even use art that's like from like later volumes so the art style (laughs) is significantly different than what's being shown like in this volume yeah i mean (laughs) so these are definitely meant for like people who are familiar with the series and with what they reference. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that was weird to me is like they include Ron's character profile like in the middle of like the third ominous book. So I'm assuming it was like in the fifth volume of the Shinsaban, but that's like before Ron is actually introduced. Yeah, in I was like volume. when I came across <laughs> it, I was just like, who who is this? <laughs> oh, she's got a consite that's great. <laughs> who is she? <laughs> yeah i thought that was an interesting like i know they're just doing it straight from the the shinsoban release but like i figured they might switch it around and like do a different character and just swap it for you know put ron where like she actually is in the volume and not you know but way before she shows up just so it wouldn't confuse newer readers you could, you could switch but i was like oh in well the volume you switch around how sensei and ron because yeah, ron, yeah. Is, ron is in because like this that'd be just right after now since he's introduced and then it'd be just after ron was introduced yeah that would learn about the characters yeah. <laughs> i fixed it viz you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's like kind of what i was expecting i was like oh well i, I mean you know <laughs> it is it's fine but like they, i think it would have made more sense if they did it and i don't know maybe like they just weren't allowed to like switch things around like they had because I'm sure someone has to sign off on these, yeah. you know? But I, I do think, like, in that instance, it would have worked better if they just, like, kind of moved it around just a little bit. But, you know, otherwise it's fine. But I'm still just, like, when I saw that <laughs> Onsen Mark thing, I was like, excuse me? Uh, uh, uh who? A what? A uh, hot spring emblem? I don't know him. I don't <laughs> don't know him. I think the confusion stems from the fact that just the page earlier they said that Hanawa Sensei was the only named teacher in the school. Yeah. So they probably thought that that was just like, oh, he doesn't have a name, so we're just going to describe him with this. Mm-hmm. Where it was translating that yeah. data file without giving it a second thought. Yeah. Except the joke is also that that's his name. <laughs> yeah. I don't really blame the translator if that if they just did not know (laughs) because like you know people translating manga nowadays they can't you can't expect every translator to know the complete history of everything they're translating that would be ridiculous 
But I do think it was kind of a slip up that like an editor maybe didn't catch that. But I mean, it like I said, it is a big chonky book. And I'm sure their editor is like <laughs> editing way more than just this. So like if it, if it was just like something that somebody missed and it was just like a whoops are bad, that's fine. I just hope that's not the name that they're going with because if it is that's a huge disappointment for me i'm gonna be kind of like oh man that's uh that's unfortunate you know Uh, i'm not i don't know if i'm happy with that (laughs) but um i mean otherwise i think that's my my one thing that like stood out like really like big red letters like what but otherwise like you know it's edited really well the translation is good. The books are nice. Like I said, I kind of wish they would have gone with like a different, like a more, a logo that looked more like the actual logo, mm-hmm. but eh, it's fine. I mean, I know in the um, the Shinsoban and stuff like that, like they tried to go for like a slightly more modern yeah. look and I get it. Like you're trying to appeal to a more modern reader with these because you don't want to just appeal to the older fans because they're not going to buy enough of these to justify it. Buy them all. (laughs) I mean, if I had if I had more money, I would buy tons of them, truckloads of them, and just give them to people. (laughs) But I don't. But um, yeah, you're gonna have to appeal. Like you're gonna have to make it look slightly more modern, and I get that. So it's fine. I mean, the most important thing to me was that it's coming. Yes, like, yes. <laughs> you know, after all these years, they're finally going to release, like, the whole thing, which is, like, such a huge deal because, you know, I think I said of, said it on Twitter when they announced it. Like, they literally announced it almost at the exact anniversary of when it was canceled. <laughs> 20 years earlier. <laughs> Two decades in the making it's taken us to this point where we're finally getting new chapters of Yours Yatsura in English, and I'm so excited. And everybody yeah. in Italy and France is just laughing at us <laughs> like, oh, you got you oh, guys need to get the man, whole right? thing? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and plus like our version was like flipped and had, you know, hand edited and hand lettered, you know, stuff like in the in the and old one. Chapters. Like, it's it's definitely a product of its time, but uh, <laughs> but I still have it all. Like I still have all those old ones, like the perfect collection and it's doing its best stuff. Because like those were like treasures for me. Like back in the day, I was just like, oh, my precious treasures of Rumiko Takahashi manga. <laughs> you know, like I have not only the the old Viz ones, but I have like a bunch of the floppies. Not like a whole run, but I have a bunch of the old floppies. I have. The first Japanese printing, like the really old, uh, Tonkabons? Tonkabons, yeah, the first printing, and so now, and now I have these, and I'm just like, Yee! Uh, <laughs> I'm just like so excited, and they look so nice on a shelf yeah. too. Like I really, I really like the color combos that they use. I mean, you know, uh, logo aside, like they look really nice on a shelf. Mm-hmm. Like when they're all together, like they're very colorful, very cute, and I'm just like. Every time I see them on my shelf, I'm just like, oh, I can't believe they're finally here. I'm just so happy. <laughs> I have like a whole shelf on my bookshelf. Like I only have one bookshelf because my apartment space is limited. So I have like just the favorites on the bookshelf and then everything else goes in my book closet that I have, a.k.a. the linen closet. <laughs> <laughs> but like I have a whole shelf of like nothing but 
it's like 90% like Rumiko Takahashi stuff. So I have my Urusei Atsura and my Maison Ikoku. And I used to have Ranma next to it, but like the Ranma omnibuses were so huge, I had to move them. But I can't wait because I can put my my new uh, Maison Ikoku collector's edition uh, <laughs> right next to it eventually. I, I'm so excited. Uh, oh, it's such a good time to be a Rumiko Takahashi fan. Like, come the release of the yes. Mermaid Saga books in the fall, there'll be four <gasps> yes! Takahashi series being published at the same oh. time. Oh my god. It's gonna be just like the 90s! Yeah. Just like the 90s, <laughs> man! The 90s should have been. <laughs> I'm just, I'm also hoping that eventually we get reprints of, like, the, all the Rumic World stuff. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Those are hard to track down, and I definitely would like to revisit those. I really enjoy, yeah. like, the, the cameos of some of her one-shots in the first couple chapters, Yours Yatsa 2. Like, you posted the tweet oh, yeah, about, yeah. like, the protagonist of those selfish aliens appearing in the one panel. Yes. In, like, the Oyuki Yeah, chapter. I totally forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, and, and I also <laughs> noticed that frequently on TVs, the Buddha from her Shake Your Buddha one-shot also shows up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I so love cute. those cameos. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. she's really good at having like stuff like that like Ranma had like little cameos by other things in there too and um like even Lum I think was in there and the anime like her anime series were the same way like if you watch old episodes of uh Maison Ikoku like Lum makes oh, an appearance oh yeah like way more than once like Lum and Ataru and I think a couple other characters yeah Maison well. Ikoku characters also appear frequently in Yurisi Yatsura yeah like, I, uh, in the last mm-hmm. episode there's like a very notable scene where like Kyoko is like just sliding across the screen like brushing with her broom I, yeah. I, I think <laughs> so I saw cute. some of the residents in the um in the shopping arcade a few times mm-hmm. but, I mean it might mm-hmm. just be a case of reusing like the character of like one-off characters but I, I swear I've seen a few of them just either running shops or just walking around. And Rimiko Takashi's really her strength at this point, anyways. It's just, she has very, very distinct crowd character designs. Like, no two faces mm-hmm. look the same. Mm-hmm. So, and she mm-hmm. doesn't, like, reuse anything. So I was like, oh, that's cool. Hi, hi guys. We'll see you mm-hmm. in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> I love you! <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, uh, famously, a lot of the people who animated and worked on the Urusei Atsura anime went on to also work on uh, Meizani Koku. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. There is a lot of just talent involved in those animes. Like, I love them so much. Oh, totally. Totally. It's uh, a lot of really great people worked on a lot of her <laughs> stuff, which is, you know, very, very good. Mm-hmm. She deserves it. Mm-hmm. It's what they exactly. deserve. Definitely. And I hope this <laughs> podcast gave your Siatra this re release, the tribute it deserves, the celebration it deserves. It was meandering. It didn't get much <laughs> done, but you learned a lot, maybe. I mean, again, meandering <laughs> much in the way your Siatra kind of is. So, it's Rem- very appropriate. <laughs> Remember when it was about female ninjas? Oh, I love the ninja <laughs> <laughs> chapters. <laughs> They're just there. It's all about her finding a job and escaping her past life. (laughs) That's a character I kind of, when I was first reading, I was like, oh, I like this new character. I hope she shows up more. She never does. No, she doesn't. She gets additional in the anime, but. (laughs) 
Yep. In the series, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of, oh, this was an interesting little character. I wonder if we'll ever no. see them again. Nope. <laughs> and, they, and they were never seen again. It's really funny <laughs> to see which characters end up coming back and which characters, like, stick around. Because there are definitely some characters that perhaps are meant to be one-offs, like Oyuki and Bentan, that end up coming back a long time later and then just stick around. And it's, it's just interesting to see which characters stick and which characters end up just being, like, short, fleeting characters. And Tan was so popular, yeah. he just got he, he got, he got shoved into the anime way before he was in um, ever supposed to show up in the manga. Yeah, I mean, oh, Ten yeah. doesn't show yeah. up until the fourth of these omnibus books. But, yeah, he's in the second episode of the anime. And they rewrite a lot of stories yeah. to include it. He had a lot of merchandise, too, because he was very cute and marketable. Yeah, I mean, every Rumiko Takahashi series has to have the cute child character. Every one of them has one. It's important. Yep. <laughs> that and the animal mm-hmm. mascot character. In Renee, it was, they were one and the same. Wow. They broke a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, they were. <laughs> Would Shibo or Inuyasha count as the animal mascot? Well, no, because Kilala in Inuyasha's animal mascot. I'm making a joke. Ah, uh, yeah. I know. I'm being your <laughs> joke. <laughs> oh. mm. But I think we'll round off now with a few questions. And so we got a few on Twitter and then one from Reddit. I think I'll read the Reddit one first. This comes from Alex Kidd with four Ds. And they uh, say uh, that they haven't read Yurisayasu or the manga, but they saw the anime on the national TV where they're from at 3 a.m. And they never heard of it before then, but they were surprised and it was one of the best anime comedies they watched. And so they were curious if the show was popular when it was released. And I think in Japan, it definitely was, which is why it kept coming back and eventually became a full serialization. And then in the U.S., that might be a little more complicated to diagnose because definitely within certain fandoms, like it was definitely very popular. But I guess, I mean, the reason why it didn't like stick around continue is because like just on the whole, it didn't attract a large audience. Yeah. Yeah, in America, it was more of like a cult classic sort of situation mm-hmm. where its fans were really into it. But like on the whole, there wasn't like enough of it to really justify like, say, the whole manga release or whatever. Like it was kind of a miracle when Anime Go got the anime license for it. Like they did sort of like a almost Kickstarter like thing for it where they had a sign up and they were like if you pledge to buy like x many volumes or whatever of the anime we will start to release it and so they had enough people who signed up and <laughs> i remember quite clearly there was a big you know um full page ad in an america advertising how they were like well you put your money where your <laughs> mouth is we're going to we're going to release on uh, another thing and it's uh say Atara. So like, thanks a lot guys. <laughs> like it was kind of sarcastic, but like also, you know, very cute and funny, but that was how it got started. And the dedication of the people like constantly pledging, like, yes, I will buy this was 
literally the the reason that they could release it. And so, you know, it was that fan, you know, dedication, you know, Lum's fans <laughs> came through and and uh, got the TV series start because they did do the movies, but you know, those were kind of easy because they're just, you know, one-offs, kind of standalone sort of thing. But the TV series is so huge. It's two hundred yeah. some episodes. Yeah. It's it's a lot. I believe Anime Go released in like fifty DVDs for the one ninety five TV episodes and then additional DVDs for the OVAs. Dang. Yeah, yeah. And they did do the the movies and the OVAs on VHS first mm. because that was what they released first. And they tried to do the TV series uh, on VHS, but after a certain point, they were like, you know what? This isn't viable anymore. We're, we're just doing DVD only. Yeah. Because we would have to do a lot of videotapes. And Japan's releases were probably like, all on Laserdisc. Yeah. Laserdisc was the distribution format for everything in Japan for a while because Laserdisc was the superior format, as we <laughs> all know, as history has shown. Just like Betamax. Well, they, I think they, I think. Animego also did do laser discs for a good chunk of it, but after a while, you know, laser discs fell out of fashion here. Not that they ever were. In it fashion, was strictly yeah. DVD. <laughs> well, with anime fans, they were very popular. The ones who could afford it, I yeah. should say. So a very, very small sliver of an already niche community. <laughs> and the only, and probably the only reason for that was because it was the main distribution method done in Japan. So it's a lot cheaper mm. and a lot easier to release. Anime that's already on Laserdisc onto Laserdisc, as right, opposed exactly. to cutting it up for VHS releases. Yeah. So the people who really loved Urusei Atsura, they loved it. They really did. But it was still just kind of a small niche community of fans who loved it. It wasn't nearly as widespread as Ranma, which like had more of a universal appeal. There wasn't so much like well, you need to know all these puns, and it's very Japanese-y, like, you know, like uh, Urusei Atsura was. So Ranma was the clear breakout hit that kind of overshadowed Urusei Atsura for quite some time, which is, you know, eh, it's fine. I mean, at least Ranma took off and people, you know, loved it. I mean, I love Ranma mm -hmm. still to this day. But yeah, it just did not hit the same way. As it did in Japan, which is fair. I mean, not everyone is going to cling to such a very Japanese series such as Urusei Atsura. I mean, we already talked about how, like, in Japan, it was, like, this cultural phenomenon that still is very, very popular. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, what was it? Just last year, there was a electric company that did, like, a live-action commercial with, like, a lum and a... Oh. I remember yeah. that. I, I think I remember seeing yeah. it. I can't, I can't remember if I saw it on TV or if I saw it somewhere else. Oh yeah, it was it was going around on YouTube. Like everyone loved it. Like it was it was really cute. I think it's still on YouTube if you look it up. But I think it was for an electric company. Yeah, yeah. There's an electric company, and they had these, and um, they they had these two um, a, a little baby tent. Yes, I remember seeing this on a friend's mm -hmm. TV while we were working on a project together, and I was like, oh. <laughs> Hello! It's so cute, <laughs> yeah, right? it's so cute. I mean, at the at the end, they even did the little, like, dance from the first yeah, opening. Like, gonna... it, it was really cute. I couldn't tell whether it was, like, just supposed to be a generic Oni or we'll see Lum at the at first, and then they did the dance, and I was like, oh, it's Lum! Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, yes, this is, this is <laughs> definitely Lum. 
But I mean, that just goes to show you just how deeply rooted like in the pop culture it is over there. Like it's the same with like Doraemon or Anpanman or Sazai-san, you know, it's just one of those things that's like always there. And it's not just like, you know, like a older person thing. It's like a, a family thing. Yeah. Like Families watch Ataru sexually assault people. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. something. <laughs> you know, we're more critically minded now. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah but, you obviously. know, that, that, it, um, it's just like Lupin. It's a family thing. Family things <laughs> yeah. in Japan are kind of funny. Of its time. Yeah. That we just need to make sure we have a conversation about when introducing to younger fans. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in, the, in this one, at least, it's Ataru. Everything Ataru does. He gets punished for well everything he, he doesn't learn do. his lesson. Well, so it's just this accidental pervert trope, or like the trope of like the pervert. Oh, he does a pervy thing, then he gets punched. It's it's not yeah. handled the best, but still. We didn't really go into that when we were talking about it in general, but something that I always wondered. I would really love if someone could ask for Miku Takahashi if it was just a coincidence, or if she mindfully thought about how the champion of Earth was chosen and it's like the world's worst person well i feel like the initial premise though of ataru is more that he's really unlucky and misfortunate and then like he gets into situations where people misunderstand and punish him and also because eventually his character changes into him actually being like kind of a bad person and a full-on pervert but like in those first couple chapters like he's more like kind of an everyman who is like just kind of unlucky into being roped into this situ- into situations by chance and then constantly dogpiled on by people for being in situations that he doesn't even want to be in. I mean, he's still a yeah. pervert yeah. in those first few chapters. to the extent he is later on. It's not like his defining trait yet. But I don't know if it's just because we don't know him very well yet or if it's just, you know, I definitely like think that. Takahashi had like, figured out his character yet yeah but it it always made me wonder i was like because he's like literally the worst dude on the planet (laughs) and i i was like is this supposed to be like sort of a cheeky little like commentary on like humanity (laughs) (laughs) but um i was like i don't know it might just be like you know like you said like this guy just has like the worst luck ever but it, it is like if you think about it you're like hmm, that is kind of ironic don't you think also, Oni symbolized bad luck. Yeah, I mean that's they, they, they had a whole idea. they had a whole mm-hmm. feature on it in the, one of the data files on like how on how actually the Oni probably probably yeah, got I the mean, most unlucky. He, he per- was chosen by their computers, yeah. so like the idea is like they chose the most unlucky person, the person most suited to fail at the job. Yeah, or the person that they just, <laughs> just thought suited the aesthetic the most, which of course mm-hmm. would be the most unlucky person. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. So. Uh, Atari's in. Uh, he's he's interesting. I can't hate him. Like I, uh, I, I Atari mm-hmm. develops some depth later on that gives more nuances to him, and then his perverted behavior gets toned down and then recontextualized towards the end of the series in interesting ways. Yeah. So yeah, he's a really mm-hmm. interesting character to me, and like I think what works about the series is that the moments where Ataru acts perverted, like, the series is never, like, trying to, you know, use Ataru's excuse to actually have, like, exploitative fan service moments, like, in other modern series, where, like, the joke is, yeah, this 
characters are perfect and gross, but we're actually showing you fan service. That's supposed Oops. to do something for mm-hmm. you, the reader. But that's not the case in your Yatra. Like, it's never presented in a, a scandalized, exploitative fashion. So there isn't, like, actual fan service in the series. So it kind of helps, you know, portray Ataru totally as, yes, definitely he is in the wrong and people don't like his behavior and they are punishing him. Although, much like Ranma, there are titties. Not as many as in Ranma. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but luckily, I, I feel like they're presented without, like, gratuitous sexualization. In the same way, like, in a fan service series, like, they would be, you know, shown at a certain angle and emphasized. And it's right. like, in Rumiko Takahashi series, like, they are just there. It's boobs. So, you know, they're just mm-hmm. kind of normal thing in the world. Yeah, I think there's only one instance in the in the manga that I was like, oh, I totally forgot about this, like, very sort of sexy pinup. <laughs> and there, it was like when Ten goes to that adult yeah, theater yeah. with Sakura. <laughs> Ten doesn't give a shit. Because I, I was like, oh... I was like, that's so different than like, because usually it's like you said, it's like, oh, there's a naked person. So, of course, there's a boob and it's not meant to be like, look at this. But that was so it kind of threw me off. I was like, oh, I totally forgot. That didn't make sense in that context because they're watching porn. (laughs) And I love like one that's like constantly asking Atari, what is that? What is that? (laughs) And Ten's just sitting there falling asleep. He's like, this is (laughs) why. Yeah. He's like, this is so boring. I don't like this. It's because you're a baby. Oh you don't God. know. Uh, he, he, has, he has some concept of it. It's just he doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's also like, kind of a little Ataru. Wants to, like, you know. He wants so. to touch all of the boobies. Yeah. <laughs> but he's, he's a little more innocent as a little kid. Yeah. Like, he has puppy dog yeah. love with Sakura. You know, his infatuation with her. Mm-hmm. I love Sakura. Yeah, Sakura is awesome. I, oh, Sakura is so good. I really so wish good. they kept the dynamic where Ataru is just scared shitless of her. Because I, yeah. I, I, her, yeah. her introduction, she was already the school nurse already. They showed him like one small cameo. But no, the, I don't think she officially becomes a school nurse. Yeah, she wasn't officially. The chapter where she does. Like, there's a different school nurse in uh, some of the early chapters. Yeah, it's just one of them. Yep. At one point, like, Sakura's in the school, and I'm just kind of like, okay, hi. Bye. <laughs> um, I, I love in that introduction chapter, everybody's falling head over heels to try to get to Sakura, and then Atara's like, oh, God, yeah, no! The only one who's not gonna see, doesn't want anything to do with Sakura. Yeah, because he's, he's experienced her before, <laughs> and then just later. He's a pervert, lol, so he wants mm-hmm. to touch the boobies, see the boobies, even though it's very... I understand you don't want to be related to anything related to the Cherry family, because Cherry's family <laughs> is, is terrifying. That's also kind of interesting how Sakura's relationship with Cherry changes as the series goes on, because initially mm. they're kind of on friendly terms. Like, you get a sense in the ninth chapter that there's, like, kind of, like, unspoken bitterness between them, but they put on a pretense of acting friendly towards each other, which is very different from, like, later on the series. Sakura is, like, everyone else and outright hating Cherry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why would you hate Cherry? He's just doing his job. Even more often than not, he's right. <laughs> just the way that he... Yeah, but he's also awful. just... <laughs> and He's awful, yeah. but he's right. He's a mooch. He, like, always is gammon for food. 
I mean, he is yep. the, he's concerned about your well-being, but he'll but he'll he's not going to do shit until you give him food. Yeah. He kind of reminds me of um what's his name? Wimpy yeah, from that's Popeye. What, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he is. Um, he's such a good he's Cherry's interesting and I like him and I missed him when he was gone. Yeah. Because he he represents <laughs> the supernatural elements. Yeah. He and yeah. Atara's unlucky features. Yeah, him and uh, Sakura. Mm bring a lot of that to the table which is great i love sakura i also love her her anime incarnation because she's like propped up as this like super sexy like babe that everybody wants to get with but she also has like this really deep raspy voice which i think is great because it's like totally the opposite of what you would have expected from like that character to sound, but it makes her sound like she has more yeah. authority and she's like a little more abrasive and a little like sort of mysterious and cool, which I really love. And you don't see that a lot in anime. You usually see like, you know, a character who's propped up like that is usually like, uh, you know, oh, I have the very soft and wispy voice. and But no, she's just like screaming all the time and angry sounding and Oh, it's really good. I really like that element. And I think that kind of elevated her character a little bit in the anime that they they didn't like go the easy route and make her just sound like, you know, a pretty lady, like a standard, like, you know, pretty voice. They were like, let's give her this really cool sort of raspy, deeper voice. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I love it. Ah. I love it. I'm kind of sad that they got rid of how um, how absolutely tired and just done she looks in the anime, though. She, they, I think that's communicated through the voice, though. Yeah, I just, I, I just, I just love the True, the yeah. constant lines under her eyes <laughs> and just her her constant mm-hmm. the constant sag of her face. Just like this is awful. Yeah, Existence <laughs> is terrible, and I hate all of you. <laughs> I hate all you fucking kids. <laughs> Just leave me alone. I went to college for this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, it's great. I love her. She's a great, sorely underappreciated character sometimes, oh, I feel. Speaking of performances that I also really love in the anime because of, like, the range of the performer is, like, Ron in the anime because like mm, both mm-hmm. of her seiyu yui inoue and komiya kazue they like really do a good job of having like a distinct like oh ron has like a really cutesy high-pitched voice and then when she gets angry she like really goes deep with like a guttural mm-hmm. scream and it's like i love that mm-hmm. so much i love ron so much i think <laughs> ron is when great. i was first reading through the series so, like i was as it went on and more characters got introduced, I was warming up to it more and more. But I think Ron, when she got introduced, that was like the moment when I really started like loving a lot of the series because like I love the dynamic between her and Lum. And yeah, <laughs> uh, I just I love like two faced characters like Ron, where it's like they have like kind of an innocent side and a dark side. Like I've always really enjoyed those mm. kind of characters. Ron did nothing wrong. I mean, really, she did not <laughs> as a kid. Like Lum really was a bad friend. <laughs> I mean, she played. Well, I think it's funny because I can kind of see, like, both sides. Like, both of them did, like, stupid shit when they were kids. Like, who doesn't do that? Like, I mean, I get it. I get why she's mad, but I also get, like, you know, maybe don't hold these weird grudges for five-year-old Lum, like, 
wetting the bed and blaming it on you. She was five years old. Is that her like (laughs) mom beat her because of that? So it's like she got a bunch of traumas because of what Long did to her. That's on her mom. She should be angry at her mom, not that is true. It's the cycle. There should have been some comeuppance between Ron and her mom. She really does misdirect her anger toward her friends. But I really do love that about Ron. Like one of my favorite stories is when she makes Yuki mad and then she like prepares a war against the Yuki. And then ropes Benton into it. It's so great. Ron is a good friend. Uh, <laughs> but sorry for it. Like, we went on a... We really derailed from uh, that no original worry. question. I mean, <laughs> Colton has to I go soon, too. And we could talk for a long time about them. But there, there is, like, a set of questions we got on Twitter that I also like to talk about, which are both kind of, like, in the same vein, which ask is, like... These come from uh, Allison and Tsukoshi Kaze. And basically, they're both asking, like, what we would think of, like, a new sh- show, re-release a new style, like a remake in a modern, like, sense. Kind of like Lupin the Third's recent revivals, part four and part five. I've said on Twitter before, but if you went and made a new Urusei Atsura in the vein of the reboot of Osamatsu. Mm, yes. That would be perfect. Because, I mean, already the Osamatsu that came out like a few years ago was done by Studio Perot, which is the studio that did <laughs> uh, Urusei Atsura back in the day. So it would be perfect. Just like sort of take those same characters, like maybe update them a little bit, give them a cute like little style that's like in the same vein, but like, you know, nice looking. And just make them do stupid stuff in the modern day. Like, deal with the Japanese economic collapse. Because, 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 is very, very much 80s. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's very, mm-hmm. very, it's very decadent. It's very groovy. There's just so much. It represents a kind of life that doesn't exist anymore. You know, that's what I love about, right. like, Going from Yuzuyatsu to Renee, which Renee is all about millennial problems and how Renee is like perpetually poor because of his boomer parents wasting all their money and saddling him with debt, and because the government he works for keeps screwing him over in terms of compensation oh, wow. and through bad bureaucracy. So I, I love that so much about that series. Yeah, have have the beginning of the Urusei Atsura reboot be like both of Ataru's parents lost their jobs. <laughs> well, I guess just his dad because his mom was a homemaker. So his dad loses his job. His mom has to get an, a part-time job. He has to get a part-time job. And he has to deal with Lum on top of a part-time job and school. And like all of his other friends are like, you know, having to deal with similar problems. Mendo comes from money, so he gets to come in and be like, you losers, I got money because I had rich parents, fuck you, you know, and, uh, you know, the the jokes would practically write themselves, I feel like, you know, and they did like a similar thing with, like I said, Osamatsu, they rebooted Gegege no Kitaro and did some similar things where they took like very modern problems and like applied it to Kitaro and I think a lot of it was very effective you know I haven't watched the whole series but I watched like the first 
I guess, core of it. And I was like, this is actually pretty good, even though I'm not super into like this new style they're working with. But like, story wise, it was good. So like, I can see that totally working with something like Urusei because it's very like, obviously, it's like a gag manga. So like, you know, just write a bunch of like, stupid stuff happening in the modern day. And like, there you go. What was the other one that I watched not too long ago? There was a glass mask short anime that they did like a few years back that was also very, it was like, I cannot remember what it was called. It was like class 4D or something like that. And they basically put the characters in modern day and were like, yeah, now you have to live in the modern era. And like, there was a few episodes where like they, you had to explain like cell phones and shit to like these (laughs) characters from the 70s and 80s. And that was hilarious. Like, do an episode where you have to explain, like, a cell phone to Lum. Well, she like, probably already has one. It's just Ataru or, and everybody else. <laughs> I mean, that would be hilarious. I would love Ron that. Ron would totally become a lifestyle Instagrammer. <laughs> oh, oh God, sharing yes. all the cute Ron- things she cooks and all her fashion. <laughs> Ron would be an e-girl. Yeah. She's an e-girl. Yes. Period. <laughs> period like totally she would be an e-girl and like off screen she would just be like so done with everybody it would be hilarious i would love that and megane would be like a angry youtuber ranting about how movies suck or something (laughs) he's right oh yeah he would be he would be like a video game streamer or something. Like him and his friends. They would all play like online games together. Like all the whole Stormtroopers. That would be like their Discord name would be like Lum Stormtroopers Discord, you know? Why won't Lum give us coochie and feet pics? We are owed Lum's feet pics. Oh no. I feel like they are one step or removed from being total incels. <laughs> I mean, oh. they hang out with they, 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 they hang out with with Ataru. They're they're, they're one st- they're one step away. <laughs> I mean, have you seen Megane's bedroom in the anime? Adorned with posters yeah. of Lum, like a. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, from what I see with. Uh, modern anime fans, that's pretty normal. Yeah, gotta have that, gotta have that lum bath water. Oh god! <laughs> With real electricity. Oh no! Oh, Thousands of deaths across Japan. <laughs> There's two bottles that you have to like combine. One's electricity, one's the water. Oh, Karama oh. would do a Bachelor X style show to interview potential mates. <gasps> yes, she would have like a Netflix show that's <laughs> like like one of those weird reality shows that's like The Bachelor. Wouldn't? wouldn't oh, oh my god, that would themselves. be great. They should remake and make a New Year's. Yes, opera. yes. I mean, we're just giving you free ideas, writers. You're and welcome. And heck, there's still some stories from the manga that were never adapted, so you can sprinkle those into. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Like, I feel like as long as you get really good writers and, like, have really good anime, get those people that were on Osamatsu-san, because that show looked way better than it had <laughs> any right to, <laughs> and get them to do, like, an Urusei reboot in that style, it would be amazing. Yeah. I could literally imagine right now that all the characters in Udase Yatra literally like design like the Osamatsu reboot 
I think mm-hmm. it would fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If they get like a good design going, you know, you wouldn't really have to change even the clothes because 80s fashion yeah. is in again, yeah. baby. <laughs> like just use like a really cute like pastel color palette. Like everything would be great. Get some uh recent sort of like city pop like artists going for the soundtrack. Like, oh, you have a winner, like right oh. there. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I would it's buy free it. money, guys. <laughs> Go with it. But I, I don't I don't know if yeah. I want it to be animated by Studio Pro. I mean if they do it same like quality as Ozamasa san. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Perot actually does a really good job. I mean, like their long running stuff, you know, they can be inconsistent, but when they're on like their high game, like they produce some really high quality work. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I said, like also Matsu-san like really surprised me with how good mm-hmm. it looked. I was like, how is this show so good looking? I don't understand. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd have to do some research, but I, I would have to think that like there were at least some Gintama people on there. Yeah, you know, I mean, one of the directors of Ozumatsu was one of the directors of Gintama. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. he did most of the Gintama anime out of all the, like, three directors that that show had. <laughs> yeah, but now that uh, Osamatsu has kind of fallen out of fashion, oh, yeah. like, all those people have free time to do an Odisei Yatsura Yeah, and Get Takahashi's to it. works are as popular <laughs> as ever. And, like, I think there'd be an audience for it, for sure. Just reboot everything from the Showa era. Just everything. Then once we get that new anime, then eventually they'll want to maybe get back the old anime, just like they did with the old, or at least one of the old Osamatsu anime. Are they ever going to release the Osamatsu-kun manga? The answer is no. Nobody cares. Probably not. That would be cool. I'd buy it. I would love it, because I want to know what the dynamics were. But there's only, like, two chapters that have ever been translated by fans. And they just kind of gave yeah. up. At, le- at, at least yeah. a bunch of other, like, really, really influential and cool, kind of obscure stuff from the Showa era. Like, the Gutsy Frog is... They've got some dedicated people going through all of it. Mm-hmm. Only on Daily Motion. <laughs> I'm really hoping that with the... Like, if the manga does, like, well enough that maybe we'll see more of the anime come out again in English because I know that Beautiful Dreamer did like pretty darn well because for a while it was like the number one selling thing on I think Amazon's anime thing when it first came out and on Right Stuff I believe but that's going to take some dedication to release like the whole TV series and stuff so like I understand why it's not out right now but like i just really want yeah, it yeah <laughs> i know I'm, I'm hoping that one of these days it will get relicensed like mm-hmm. put in like collections with a bunch of episodes on them like the lupon part two uh releases like that'd be yeah. great mm-hmm. yeah i know even in japan i think they released it in like i think two chunks yeah. two or three chunks because it's a lot but i mean it's out on blu-ray in japan we have that nice high def picture I want oh, yeah, it. It's been, uh, it's been broadcasting uh, um, a lot on the uh, kids' TV channel in Japan. That's where oh. a lot of those high-quality oh. clips that you see on YouTube are from. Oh. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I keep thinking of, like, possibly saving up and just importing one of the box sets. But I keep saying that out loud because, like, the one time I almost bought 
an import of Beautiful Dreamer, like literally a month later, they announced the uh, the American release. So I was like, mm, if I say it enough times, the universe will change. I'll wish it into existence. Joel Olstein <laughs> is right. <laughs> <laughs> but I would even take like you know the rest of the movies, yeah. maybe or even the OVAs, because those are all also very good. I'm surprised they haven't gone for OVA yeah. yet. The other Oshi directed one. Yeah, you'd think that'd be like, you know, a no-brainer, but uh, I don't know. Maybe there's some, you know, behind-the-scenes licensing things that we're not privy to. True, and mm. Beautiful Dreamer was the only Yurisi Yatsura anime thing that wasn't done by Animego in the back in the day, so maybe there's something mm. still tied up in uh, Animego's former license to the series, too. Yeah, that whole thing with the, the licensing of the movies is really <laughs> funny. <laughs> Like, it's a whole, like, weird story, but it basically boils down to when Anime Go was in Japan and they were asking one of the licensors, I think it was either Toho Films or Kitty, about the movies. They were like, yeah, sure, you can have all of them except for this one. You're going to have to go to our other branch to get that one because it was handled by someone else at the time. And they were like, okay. And at the same time, someone from CPM was at the other branch going, I want to license the Ursa the Answer movies. And they were like, we only have this one. You have to go across town and ask the other people for it. And literally, <laughs> the, when they when each of them went to the other person, they were like, wow, you just missed so-and-so. They licensed that. <laughs> and they were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of fitting for such a wacky uh series to have such a funny story about licensing but you know they were cool about it and when they released a box set of all the movies Animego left enough space to put the other movie in and um cpm designed the cover to match the oh. Animego ones so they all lined up perfectly and beautifully in That's the same so box cute. companies working mm-hmm. together <laughs> Usually they I know. only do that. To it's s- such a novel thing. Usually they only do that to <laughs> screw over the consumer in horrible, horrible ways. <laughs> Just look at internet service providers. Mm. Womp womp. But is that? I guess is that about it for questions? That does indeed do it for questions, and I think that about wraps us up with our celebration of the Yurisiatsu manga. And I want to thank you guys for coming on and talking about the series with us. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Thank you for inviting me. Like, I know we mostly spent it <laughs> going on tangents about just random stuff, but, like, I really do love these volumes that Viz is putting out, and I'm so, so happy that they decided to come back and give it another shot because it's a classic, iconic piece of manga history and i'm really glad that like it's going to be in the hands of so many people who've never read it before because it's so fun and like it's a little rough around the edges but it's you know a classic piece of work and there's a lot that has come after it that was inspired by it and so to see the roots of the things that you love now in this original work is like i think really cool and you know kind of Mm -hmm. important like a lot of people even american comic artists and like even animators and people who work in like all sorts of different industries were very inspired by rumiko takahashi and her early work so i feel like if you read these you will get to know a lot of creators definitely like 
especially when you're seeing her as like her first like serialized work, you definitely like see a lot of her ideas and themes that she would revisit in future works kind of begin in this Mm -hmm. series. And it's really interesting to look back from that perspective too, if you're like a fan of her later works. Yeah, and you get to go back and be like, wow, shampoo was basically just like Like the entire Ramakana shampoo (laughs) dynamic is like the Lomotaru Shinobu dynamic if it like never changed from what it was early on. And like (laughs) the girl next door was the main love interest for the entire series. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But yeah, if you've only ever read Ranma, like I totally recommend giving it a shot because it is basically... Like an unhinged <laughs> version of Ron. Even more unhinged. <laughs> yes. If you can't get enough of that wackadoo comedy, like, man, have I got a series for you. And also, I think we were talking about it earlier, but Dr. Slump, if you liked Dr. Slump, this is also something that, like, I feel you owe it to yourself to read because they're, I think you said it earlier, Lum, two peas in a pod, like, this and Dr. Slump have a lot in yes, common. Yes, definitely. You think Ranma is an anything goes series? No, you ain't seen nothing yet. We go to <laughs> Seriously, seriously. Let's just change genres halfway through. Let's <laughs> let's let let's do let's do Journey to the West. Why not? Let's do it. It's important. I love the Journey to the West chapter, and that they specifically like they call everybody else by their Chinese names, but specifically call Ataru Goku. Because. <laughs> <laughs> knows goku like apparently that was supposed to um according to the translation notes on the back like they specifically were calling ataru goku it is a reference to dragon ball i don't which... think that necessarily is the case i don't because this because this, this would have only been published in 1981 that chapter yeah earliest so it's like i don't think because Dragon Ball was until 1984, so I, I, oh, wait, no, I'm cr- I'm pretty sh- I think they were just saying, oh, Goku is a character you would recognize, reader, uh-huh. is also named after this character from Jory to the West, and that's what they're referencing. Oh, I'm crazy. I'm sorry. I have a headache right now for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you're fine. I think that Lum makes a great Tripitaka, and it makes the dynamic between Tripitaka and Sun Wukong a lot kinkier. Gotta say. Mm-mm. <laughs> I mean, he literally controls him with a collar. It's pretty, it's pretty spicy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, I think we'll leave in the show notes where people can buy Udase Yatsura. Obviously, you know, if anybody wants to check it out. Uh, I know as a new reader, I'll definitely be reading more of it uh, kind of on my own time. But uh, this was a fun podcast, despite all the meandering. But, you know, it's, it is what it is. (laughs) But uh, yeah, thanks guys for coming on. And uh I think now we can just kind of let our guests plug their stuff. Yeah. So, Don, would you like to let people know where they can find you, the Anime Nostalgia Podcast? Sure. Um, If you are an older person like me and you love remembering stuff that used to be (laughs) popular years and years ago, or you're a young person and you want to know more about older stuff that you may have never heard of before, and you want to... you know, hear more about like, hey, what was anime and fandom like before I was born or whatever. Uh, You can listen to my podcast where we kind of do like a mix of reviews and history and all sorts of fun things like that. It is called the Anime Nostalgia Podcast and you can find it at animenostalgia.blogspot.com as well as just pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. If you usually search for the Anime Nostalgia Podcast, you can find it. 
I float around on Twitter talking about random stuff and posting pictures of my big fat cat <laughs> at Bunny Cartoon, all one word. That is me. I'm old and boring, yeah. but I try to have fun and keep my space like a fun, happy little internet space. Keep things positive because, you know, the world's falling apart. But hey, we're trying. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Oh, that was sad. <laughs> we gotta spread a little positivity into the world where we can and when we can. Yes. I should exactly. probably stop retweeting sad things then. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, speaking of retweeting, uh, Vix, do you want to plug your Twitter? Yeah. I'm just on Twitter. I don't really know what to post, but occasionally when I'm reading something, I'll start posting panels of what I'm reading and scream about it. And that's my online presence. I'm at uh, Vixie the Valiant. And on Twitter, I'm the best. Uh, <laughs> I retweet very fine, finely cultured things. And occasionally post meandering blog posts that don't make any sense. I'm bad at English. <laughs> yeah, me. Despite being a teacher. Yes, despite being an English teacher. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell anybody. <laughs> oh, boy. Isn't that always how it goes? It really is. <laughs> All right, but Lum, I think we can uh, head out of here and maybe finish the rest of the show ourselves. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Can't do it. Oh. <laughs> we're going no, to be together in this podcast forever. <laughs> no, me do it. <laughs> Thanks once again to Don and Vix for coming on the show to talk about Jurassic Oscar with us. Definitely check out Don's Anime Nostalgia Podcast where she reviews classic anime and delves into fandom history in fun and fascinating ways. As mentioned on the show, her Yuri's the Outsider and Anime Fest 2016 episodes are great listens and share some awesome anecdotes about Yuri's the Outsider's production history, and I highly recommend them as well as pretty much every episode of the Anime Nostalgia Podcast. Some of my favorite episodes include the ones Dawn did on anime fan Pen Palin and how she solved the Miami Mike mystery, which shares stories from the early days of fandom and is always really cool to hear about and learn about as someone who got into it much later than that time. But on that note, I'd also like to shout out a few other people who do great work celebrating older anime and fandom. First, Sana in Canada is a podcast that looks at anime fan and history in Canada, which is really different from the experience of those of us in the States, and it's really interesting to learn about. And I recommend the Cat's Eye episode they did that Dawn was a guest on as a first-time gateway to their show, but they've also done a lot of cool retrospectives of the Canadian fan experience and impressions of series like Inuyasha, Gundam Wing, and Dragon Ball Z, among many others. Not to mention discussing the state of fandom in Canada as it is now. For even more fandom mystery explorations, also check out Anime Herald's Chronicle The Western Anime Bubble, which chronicles the industry landscape from the 90s to the bubble crash of 2007, and provides some really interesting insight and perspective on how the industry grew, collapsed, and then rebuilt itself. Next, the Sailor Moon Fan Club podcast is a newer podcast that I've been really enjoying. It's a podcast focused on interviewing awesome people of the Sailor Moon fandom discussing how Sailor Moon has influenced them in their work. 
One of my favorites that they've done so far is their interview with Carla Clark, an editor for Viz Media who works on series such as Mashal and Matama Security Spirit Busters, and describes what it is like to work at the same company that releases Sailor Moon itself. Their other interviews have included Yunus Sabama, founder of Black Girls Anime, then the novelist of the Nightmare Worst series, L.L. McKinney, and adorned by Chi creator and founder, Jack Eye. Host Victoria is a great interviewer and the conversations are always casual feeling yet informative. And it's a great listen if you're a Sailor Moon fan and interested in learning about what movies have gone on to create inspired by their love of the series. On the subject of classic shoujo series, I'd also like to recommend, once again, Marion Beat's YouTube channel where she does a great job doing these incredible videos on classic JoJo series that are really wonderfully edited and have absolutely gorgeous thumbnails. And she also recently compiled a list on her Patreon of where you can find classic shoujo anime streaming legally, which is a great resource for those looking to delve into some classics. Check her out and support her work. Also, on the subject of legally streaming classic anime, the new Retro Crush app is one to keep an eye on. They've got a bunch of great titles on there with series and films such as Project Aiko, Otakano Video, Not on the Galactic Railroad, Galaxy Press 39, Space Adventure, Cobra, Robot Carnival, Jinro, and of course, Yuri Yatsura, Beautiful Dreamer, among countless others. Check them out to watch some classic anime you can't find streaming legally anywhere else. Finally, to wrap up our shoutouts for the episode. Since Lovers Squad is making a comment, I also wanted to shout out some other creators returning after a long break as well. Good friends of the show, Jeff Ruberg and Ashley McDonald, have restarted their Digimon focused podcast, Podigis, and the show returns as effortlessly as if it had never left, with Jeff and Ashley humorously and articulately discussing the premiere episode of the new Digimon reboot series. And on the subject of Digimon Anime, AJ has returned with his stellar anime production breakdowns, focusing on the new Digimon series, which, as he explores, really is Dragon Ball Super 2.0, considering the crossover of a lot of its talent and staff. I'm really excited to see both of these projects in the new, and I'm looking forward to keeping up with their stuff again. And that about does it for community shoutouts for this episode, so I guess all that's left now is to wrap up the show. Mm-hmm. So... I guess I'll start off. You can find me, Lum Ramiyasha, on Twitter at Lum Ramiyasha. You can find my stuff on all-comic.com, which includes manga reviews I write there. We got a ton of those coming out, so look forward to more on there. Of course, that's also where you can find Lum Squad and at movies as well. And yeah, that's where you can find me. Wherever there's a Lum Ramiyasha on the internet, that's where you can find me. All right, but uh, as for me, you could find me on Twitter at SniperKane three two three. I'm uh, I'm Colton, by the way. I probably should have started with that. So yeah, follow me on Twitter at SniperKane three two three. I also host and produce a few other podcasts on my own uh, on my own time here, all of which you can find links to over my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Uh, there you'll find links to other shows such as uh, Life Lessons, the Intama Manga Cast as well as One Podcast Prevails, which is a Detective Conan podcast I record with my friend Doctor from the Ask Backwards Anime Podcast. And uh, yeah, I, I, have a bunch, I have a bunch of stuff linked on that page in particular. I need to kind of update it soon, actually. But uh, yeah, as for uh, all comic and the podcast, uh, you can find every episode of the Manga Mavericks podcast uh, posted first on all-comic.com. 
Unless uh, you are a patron of ours over at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. We mentioned it at the top of the show. Uh, but just to mention it one more time, you can basically, if you sign up for $2, uh, you'll get access to early editions of the podcast, you know, before we upload them on the main feed, whenever we happen to have those ready. You know, most of the time it really depends on when we have them edited. But, you know, if we happen to have them ready and early and uh, and you guys can't wait for them to come up on our main feed, you know, we'll always upload them on our Patreon. Again, that's uh, that's for our $2 tier. Um, but if you're interested in maybe some more bonus content, uh, some new content, I should say, you should sign up for our $5 tier in which you are guaranteed one bonus podcast at the end of every month. And right now we are currently doing uh, another series of read throughs via the manga Mavericks book club in which uh, my, again, my friend doctor and I are basically going through the entirety of the Saint Seiya manga, the original Saint Seiya manga from Masami Kurumada. It is our first time reading through the manga. So uh, a lot of our thoughts and feelings are very, uh, very fresh when we record those podcasts. Currently, we are about four volumes in at the time of this recording. By the end of the month, uh, we will be six volumes in. We're we're covering about two volumes an episode. So, uh, so yeah, if you wanna if you wanna listen to us talk about Saint Seiya, uh, you definitely want to sign up for our Patreon again, the five dollar tier. Uh, we'll get new episodes at the Manga Mavericks Book Club every month again at the end of the month. Uh, so that's at Patreon.com/slash Manga Mavericks. It's basically the best place for uh, for anyone to, you know, help support the podcast and what we do. And we really appreciate all your guys' patronage. But yeah, I guess as for All Comic, uh, the main website, you want to follow us on Facebook.com slash All.Comic or on Twitter.com slash AllComic underscore. But if you want to follow Manga Mavericks specifically, you want to follow us on Twitter at Manga underscore Mavericks, as well as Tumblr at MangaMavericks.Tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks, uh, where we post different excerpts of the podcast and even some new content every once in a while. And then you should email us anything at uh, manga mavericks at gmail.com. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Urusei Yatsura? What do you think about Rumiko Takahashi's line of work? You know, what, what other manga are you reading? Um, just email us anything about, you know, just manga, the podcast, anything related to those two topics. Or anything else, I don't know. Just, just send us an email at mangamavericks at gmail.com. We'll, we'll read it on the show. Uh, but the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, uh, as well as any other places where you might be uh, listening to this podcast. Uh, we're available on most platforms, but uh, especially on Apple Podcasts, we really appreciate the... Uh, we really appreciate any, like, reviews or, or ratings that you guys leave us. It really helps the visibility of our podcast and help us and helps us uh, become more available to more people. So yeah, please, please leave us those, uh, either a rating or a review, if you so wish. We'd really appreciate it. But that is going to be about it for this episode. Again, we uh, we thank you guys for listening to the podcast. This has been episode 117 of the Manga Mavericks podcast on all-comic.com. And we will see you guys next time for episode 118. Bye, guys. Sayonara! Sayonara!